From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hi, tonight we're talking about Snowpiercer. It's a 2013 film and it's based uh, on a story where in the future, failed climate change experiment has killed off all life except for a few lucky little buggers that have hopped on this super fast, supercharged train that manages to circle the globe non-stop for the last 18 or so years and of course the train has created a new class system for humanity quite literally it's it's the classes of passenger it is yeah. it is actually you're it right really, it really is a, a class system without any hesitation to use the term totally and i mean look hey hey trains it's like dating back isn't it to the concept of class, really. Trains are that perfect example of rich people at the front, poor people at the tail, and middle class in the middle somewhere, right? Somewhere. So anyway, <laughs> this is your spoiler warning. If you've not seen this film, warning, go back warning, and warning. watch it because it's really well worth it. And then join us now. So what was your number one takeaway <clears throat> from Snowpiercer, sorry? <laughs> My number one takeaway was that Babies taste best. What? It's true. <laughs> that or cockroaches are preferable to cutting your own limbs off. Yeah, I, I would probably go that. I would I think, eat cockroaches. I think it's sort of an insight into the levels of desperation that can be heightened when you boil humanity down from this big global population down into a train. Yeah, and look, in Australia right now, you saw people are fighting over toilet paper. That's what happens when people get cornered and panic and don't really get their rational brains out. They bring out some irrational little lizard brain and they're like, my, 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 mine. So Snowpiercer works off that, works off the concept that humans, when they're like cornered and put into a little segment and you've got nothing else to live on, you're going to chew someone else's arm off, aren't you? You're going to just yeah. brutally do that if that means you live and they don't. Yes, that's when I would do it. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't do it over toilet paper. But, you know, like in this scenario, it's very similar and it just shows you how quickly humanity can um, it, it fold is, upon itself. It is interesting because you sort of think that, you know, devolving down to cannibalism and... Yeah, being lizards, really, come on this sort of really primal thing is a long way off, but I don't think that it is. No. And I think that's what I'm getting a bit from Snowpiercer yeah. is that the distance between, you know, dining on sushi and getting mm. celebration eggs at New Year's do all the way down to eating gelatinous blocks of uh, 
yeah, bug protein. I think I think I like to think specifically cockroach protein. Oh yeah, crunchy is is not that far. No, and um, but. The thing is, with that, they didn't know they were eating that. No. but And if you didn't know, you would eat it because you had nothing else to eat. And then secondly, like, even when you learnt that's that's what you're eating, sure, it might make you want to, like, barf in your mouth a little bit. But, I mean, if you've got nothing else to eat, I just eat it. It's that or people. Yeah. And it is protein. I mean, it's protein. Well, Bugs are protein. Perfectly find it yeah. like eat really and you could even argue in this wall they've been treated and they're put into little jelly block things you know, <laughs> little rubber they were they were really t- um tangible weren't they in the movie how they made yeah, them kind of like they glistened. <laughs> like a, they glistened and you could like whack them you know they didn't just fall apart you know we yeah. have so many products these days that like just crumble but that like it was like a solid thing that you could whack you know yeah like, you, you got a real feeling <laughs> of what it would it would be chewy. Like, yeah, know. it'd be chewy. But anyway, so I guess the thing is, so is this then a story of hope, warning, or is it an experiment? Look, I think completely it's a warning. This film, to me, this story really relates to 1984 by George Orwell. Orwell, sorry. Orswell. Orwell. George Orwell wrote 1984. If you haven't read it, please read it. You need to keep up with this. Yeah, it, read that book. If you think you know what 984 is about, because I did before I read it. Yeah. Because people always talk about Big Brother and I. They do. Turns out you probably don't know at yeah. all what it's about and you will be... Uh, I think it's a, a horror book. It kind of like, is, it yeah. It is. scarier than it's any... horror and sci-fi. In any mind. sort of uh, you know, like Stephen King or Dean yeah. Coots or whatever that I've read. But you, you make a good point. I, I was the same. I thought I knew what 1984 was about. And when I started reading, I was like, yeah, 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 I get what this is about. But then you get into the bowels of the book Mm. and it suddenly takes a weird side turn. I saw a beautiful punk rock woman the other day on the train reading it. You know, she's an office worker but looks like a punk rocker. And I thought, good for you. She was about three quarters of the way through the book. So I knew exactly where roughly oh, she was getting she's to. She's getting up to the pretty bad parts. <laughs> and you, when you're at that point, even in public transport, you kind of really just suddenly are in the world that he creates and mm. you're off on some weird, beautiful tangent that George Orwell takes you on. And this movie, I think, is actually quite similar because it has the classes, it has the abstract violence, it has the horror and it takes us a, to another world. So social engineering. It does. The social engineering is, is a major part of is, it. I think that's what horrifies me about nine yeah. four. And when uh, Curtis gets to the train engineer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we Wilfred, really. Yeah. And this this engineering is revealed that uh, you know he's treating humanity like a train engine. He is. Yeah. Uh, you know, a perpetual engine is what he's got in his train, and that's how he's treating humanity. He even talks about them as units. Mm. Yeah, and they talk about how many units, you know, seventy-four units. Seventy-four percent, yeah, is there, yeah. Seventy-four percent of the units we have to de- delete, and yeah, that that was a. I can definitely see that nine eighty-four connection there, where there's that view of the dispassionate view of humanity as a machine to yeah. be orchestrated. And we we see this again. And so to circle back to the question, like hope experiment uh, warning, and please correct me, hit us up if you think it's something else, but. Like, I really see this as a warning because ultimately you can't box humanity in. You know, mm-hmm. and this film is literally, this story is boxing humanity into the tail end 
of the train and then the subsections. So mm. you got all the different classes. But at the end of the day, what happens is, you know, and again, we've given you the warning, you've basically got to break free of those shackles. Like it doesn't work. The class structure like that doesn't work when it's to the extremity that it is on this train. And you're right, Wilford is a perfect example. Like he's like, well, we have the right balance going on and you have to be at the front to make the, you know, the, the choices to get rid of the people at the back. And you see this time and time again, especially in a lot of sci-fi like 1984 and like a story like this Snowpiercer where ultimately if we allow a central power to dictate classes and dictate everything like they do in Snowpiercer, they literally kill people to keep the balance. Yeah, Humanity never thrives or succeeds the way humanity can. You know, you, we just talked about this, like you, it, going back to the lizard brain that people fight over toilet paper, like society can't survive if we are like lizards. We're humans. You know, mm. the beautiful thing about humans is we can think thing through things through and achieve the impossible if we work on it, right? And so if you can't um, compartmentalise humanity like they do in Snowpiercer, at some point it's going to boil over. It's well, going to break free. It has to. You can't bit do it. That the uh, Man, is that his name? The security expert. Yes. Man. Yeah, I think so. I think that was Man, was it? Yeah, I'm going to call him Man. Anyway. Call him Man. <laughs> uh, he I'm makes not sure if I wrote him down. Where he sticks the explosive. Um, Oh, yes, yeah, Kronol yeah. Yeah, the Kronos. On the door. Yep. And he says, I say we go through this gate. You might see, you, know, you might take this as a wall, but I see it as a gate. Yeah. And because obviously Curtis would be moving in one direction up the train, but he's still on the train. Yeah. And this, this is the point that this... Uh, he wanted to make this, through, this yeah. The security yeah. expert saying, he's saying, yeah, like... You're not really getting through anywhere. You're not getting through gates. No. You're still in the same spot you were before. Yeah. Unless you go sideways. Yeah. And, you know, you see it's a wall there, but it's not a wall. It's yeah. a gate. You just get, yeah. you know, explosives agree, will yeah. do the same thing. And I love, I love that sort of, that was kind of that restatement of a theme there. Really. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to, that's what I mean. Like you have to kind of, you can't, if you contain humanity like this, it's at some point someone's going to burst sideways. Well, they've it's been the sitting way there for 18 years and had achieved yeah. nothing. That's right. And they, they had great revolts before. They talked about yeah. them. You know, they were great stories to tell people as um, Wilfred says. You yeah, know? yeah. So this one's really exciting. Yeah, because you did some things that were unexpected, you know, like so, and we know that works in humanity, the story. But yeah, I, that's, uh, that's where I think it's a warning. You could argue hope as well because again if we are put into the tail section at some point we will break free so there's a bit of hope in there as well i don't think experiment but no, i don't no, i think geez, this I, is just i was going to go experiment no i was going to experiment because it's, this is the very oh, question of space brains are colliding what, here yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen next well it's dangerous because brains we don't have we're not spray skulls no space brains. they just will bump up again it's, well, it's, it's going to be jelly fights <laughs> it'll be There'll so, be neurons spilling everywhere. So, uh, well, my take on the experiment here is that you do have this case of let's put um, a microcosm of humanity in a box. Mm, fair and, enough. And watch what they do. Yep. Yep. From that point of view, fight it out. Yeah. Sort of idea. And, and see how it goes. See what sort of resolution yep. is achieved. Uh, yes. But I, I certainly go, uh, I do like the hope idea that we can break free of our own prisons. But 
they point out it's going to be the kids that actually succeed. It's always the kids. Well, all we can do is next provide the fuel. Yeah. Uh, provide the addictive drug that's also explosive. And it's the kids who will face polar bears on their own. <laughs> so maybe there's not a great hope there, I suppose. No, there's but- not great hope, but there's hope because they kind of get off the train. Yes. And, you know, and that, I must admit, um, you know, like seeing that polar bear and, the, you know, they walk in the soft ice because that's what the father said, you know, that yeah. the ice is actually ready, ready to, to crumble, you know, yeah. like it's ready for a change. But it's almost like... Far out, they're now stuck up this mountain. There's polar bears, you know, the trains, you know, wreckage everywhere. But then you think, but you're not on the train anymore. You know, like the the people that would survive that wreckage would have to come together. They have to make some sort of new arrangement, wouldn't they? And if it is the children and the mothers and the the, the young people, they would just do what it takes to survive then in that environment. Yeah, But you wouldn't necessarily... They've broken those shackles that the train yeah, they, They've created. got a new, new horizon, new yeah. set of boundaries to explore. Yeah. So we'll get more into the plot in a minute or so. So your jelly brain, have you been up to anything creative recently, quickly, to uh, let the, the listeners know? Finished finish the first draft of my How to Write a Novel book. Fantastic. Which is great, and I'm going through now. I am applying... Uh, so in case you haven't understood me very well uh so far because you've never listened to this before (laughs) i'm sure they've been developed all i do is if i hear a new term or i get an idea or something i research what the experts have done what's happened in the past i like to stand on the shoulders of giants i don't like brilliant idea I i think that's the best way of um citing new ground is from a high uh point that's very brainiac let's do this um analogy thing but as a result, so I, I went, okay, so what I've written, I wrote this first draft, which was a case of get it all out, my, the the process and procedures yeah. and so forth that I have researched on how to, how to, how I have gone about structuring plot and how I think really works to write books, yep. novels in particular. And then I've gone now and said, okay, so this is basically a self-help book. Yeah. So how do I structure this so it's effective? Because a lot of people have done self-help books and they do them very well. So I'm now applying the research on, because there are people who have studied and analyzed self-help books, much like there are people who have researched and studied plot structures and you know film writing and yeah. all the rest of it. People have done the same thing for self-help books. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say there's a formula for it, but there are um, uh, processes or procedures or, or concepts that make a more effective book versus a less effective book. Yeah, of course. So that's what I'm applying at the moment. I'm going through putting that in. So the title, for example... It can't just be how to write a novel because that's just not good enough. It's got to be more something like you will write a novel in eight steps. Yeah. Or the, uh, what was the other one? The eight-step novel plan. That's Yeah, I reckon that's been done before, but. Probably, but yeah. but these these are self-help titles. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I've got, I've got eight about. Eight steps to financial freedom. Yeah, yeah there's all that sort of thing. There's lots of those <laughs> things. Yeah, so there's I've got about six or seven different title names there, which I've, I've got, which are all this sort of. Um, Following this this uh, style or format or uh, appealing to because it's all a study of psychology really. Of course, like you don't want to say how to write a novel. No, that would be handy for search engines because that's what people search on. But you want something more like you will write a novel. Yeah, I like that. That's, I do like that. There's your test audience. I yeah, do like that. There you go. <laughs> that's the sort of thing. So that's what I'm applying on there at the moment. 
uh, yeah, I've also been, oh geez, what did I just watch recently? I've been watching that uh, show Ragnarok. It's okay. not really science fiction. No. It's definitely not. It's kind of a Viking prequel yeah, or something. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. It's um, modern day. It's Norwegian, so it's a little bit different. Mm. The way they present this sort of Of story. course. I do like that, but. And yeah, so that's quite good. And also, I've just finished watching uh, The Dark Tower, the Stephen King movie. Oh, yep. Yep. Gee, the book's better. <laughs> but to be fair, there's like seven or eight or 11 of these books and there's only yeah. one movie. So what you going to do? Always hard. Always hard. But anyway, yeah. So that, that's sort of what I've been doing. I, I swear I've been doing something else. The other thing is, did you read, have you, you read the book first? I read the first book first. Yeah, I reckon that's almost near impossible if you've read the book to then watch the movie mm. and actually think the movie is better than the book. Yeah, that book, I, I haven't read book two or anything, but book one of The Dark Tower is a clear demonstration of why Stephen King is referred to as a master storyteller. Oh, he's brilliant. That, yeah. that I mean, so I reckon it's every every other book of his is really good. So yeah. the in-between, it's like the Windows version. Every second book. <laughs> the in-between ones, because he, he does a lot of writing off the seat of his pants, off the cuff. He does, yeah. And yeah. so it tends to be a little bit hit and miss. Yeah. And that, but it does mean, though, that he comes out with some real gems. Yeah. And some real ordinary stuff that's only saved by the fact that he's really good with words. They're your words, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever, have you read, but just because, I mean, you're saying the self-help book, he's actually written self-help book which is on writing stephen king on writing mm. so that's his title there you go so you could have surrey hughes on writing except stephen king is a name that it's correct a million copies have you so, read that no i've i've read parts of it and it is my you gotta read it's that. on my target yeah, list you gotta and I, look to be honest um uh, my wife bought it for me a couple of years ago and i kind of you know like i have read a few stephen king books and i've enjoyed them I wouldn't say like they've been mind-blowingly for me personally, but then I read that and she said, I bought you this because apparently a lot of writers out there say this is like this is the book you should read mm. if you want to be a writer. And I read it and I agree. Like I agree. You read that and you're just like, holy shitballs. Like he's got super practical techniques in it. He tells you about his writing process. He also tells you about like, how he started writing and the good and the bad. He talks about his addictions in the 80s and how that almost just totally ruined him. And uh, he talks about like the car accident story that happened to him when he got ran over and, you know, like the hate and then how he wrote about that. Like it, it's it's a really interesting read, that book. And but he, but he just literally has a few sections of that book. It's like, if you're no good at grammar, do this. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, like it's just hands-on practical shit. Like, he doesn't yeah. beat around the bush, doesn't talk about other stuff. He's just like, here we go. You know, and I, I really liked that. Yeah. 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 Well, oh, that was um, a great book on writing, you know. It's on my to-read pile. Yeah. It's definitely there. I think anyone that wants to be a writer has to read that book. Well, know? I think so. And, and uh, as I said, I think also if you want to be a storyteller, read the at least the first book of The Dark Tower. Yeah, right. Because... The way, like, it's a really, there's basically no plot to it. Yeah. To be fair. And, and that's because it was originally a short story and it blew up. And it's basically the gunslinger walking through the desert after the man in black. And then he catches up with the man in black uh, and, like, the man in black sort of goes. And that, like, nothing really happens. 
there's no real resolution there. Yeah. But the the world that gets built up and the the emotion and the feeling it reading it you feel dusty and dry in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. And you can you can really feel what this world is like. Yeah. And the whole thing is just a uh, it's more of a a study of uh, a scene. Mm. And it's like a really big scene yeah. and it's just uh, it's beautifully written. Yeah. And but he he does do that. You know that. the have you read the stand? I mean talking about pandemics. No. I've read that and I mean like yeah like the first I mean it's a massive book. It's thousands and thousands of words. I can't even remember. I think it's something like 1800 pages or something, you know, like it's huge. Mm. And apparently they made a, they're making a TV show now. They made a telly movie in the an 80s. Old series of it. Yeah, they made a telly movie when we were probably kids or teenagers no or something. Budget though, so. Yeah. But they're making a series now or they were, I don't know. So I heard about that when I read it um 18 months ago. I actually sat down and read it. But like that he does that like the first eight chapters like you go into this whole like each character has a chapter before the event and then after the event and then there are reactions to the event like it's it builds such a world Mm. for these characters it's incredible you know that all of their fears are kind of lived out in those first couple of chapters while the world crumbles you know like the whole world breaks down into this dystopian world um, how and many, you do. How many you weeks after toilet paper fights? Yeah, I know, the toilet paper fights. He didn't never imagine that. No, <laughs> that's not in this story. But because in the stand, they kind of like people just die, like they die really quickly. You yeah. Know? So, and then you got these people left, the people that the virus didn't kill. Um, so you got this major dystopia, and then it gets really evil, as in there's like an angel and a devil kind yeah. of person that are pulling, like the devil's pulling the bad people to them, you know what I mean? Yeah. In Las Vegas, so he, like, pulls them to them. Yeah, it's a cool pull book. Cool book. Anyway, we diverge away from Snowpiercer right Snow- now. So. Yeah, I know. It's just like <laughs> We're going down a rabbit so hole. So much. We could have another yeah. podcast about books. Books, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> uh, about books and, and writing and reading and things. But yeah. Snowpiercer then. So Snowpiercer, uh, we have Hope Warning Experiment. It's a warning or hope. Or experiment, depending on how you want to look at it. But let's go with let's go with a bit of a hope hope warning business going. Yeah, on. I'm going warning, and you're going experiment. When you're going yeah. experiment, yeah, I, I am. But I totally see the other ones. Like, you ah, know, okay. I like the experiment. Our squishy brains are squished up squished against down. each other again. <laughs> so now, but let us know if we're right or wrong on our social media, please, for the yeah. love of God. At Reach Space out. Brains Pod or at Space <laughs> Brains Podcast. Yeah, it would be so lovely to hear back. We've from got someone. some characters. We've got Curtis, yeah. who is Chris Evans. Captain America. Okay, Captain America. But- and I know when he did this, he was full flight Captain America because it's 2013. Yeah. He's big. He's he's Captain America and he kind of took this, I think, as a bit of a risky role, hey, yeah. that, you know, a Korean director, Korean story, bit of Hollywood money. He wanted to sidestep, like, not just being pigeonholed as Captain America. He wanted to kind of try something as an actor. I remember him. I remember seeing a bit about this at the time. Mm. And it was a bit of a risk, you know, he's going to have to act in this. Like, it's not just pure bam, bam, wham, thank you, man. Not that, like, I loved Captain America. I think that's a cool movie. 
but it was very much a bit more of he's going to be in the spotlight with his acting. Yeah, and, and he does a good job of that too. He does a really good job in this, I think. And he's, he's there with uh, John Hurt, who's you know, an old school thespian. Yeah, Ed Harris. And um, now the Korean guy that plays the dad, I think it's Kang Ho Song, which is in Bung Jong Hao. Yeah. Uh, Parasite. Parasite. Yes. No, no, not Parasite. He's oh, he's in, a Parasite. Yeah, he's, he's in Parasite. Parasite yeah. And he's in The Host. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's very young in The Host. So he's, he's a bit of... <laughs> repeating he's a bit of, sort of um, same as Johnny Depp is to Ed... Bert, what? Ed Burton? Tim, uh, Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. Tim Burton. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Ed yes. Burton. Ed Wood, I'm thinking Ed Wood, of. Yeah, yeah. He was in Ed Wood too, but Tim yeah, Burton. Was. But yeah, Tim Burton uh, and... And... and who is so delightful in this is the character of Mason, Tilda Swinton. And she is also in his other movies. Oh, really? Yeah, she's in the, I think it's Okchi, the sort of giant hippopotamus oh, yeah, creature weird thing, whatever it is. I'm not too, I haven't, at the moment. Okay, I haven't actually seen that, but I, I know of the movie. But she's in that. She's the lead in that, mm-hmm. um, apart from the little girl. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, whole, holy shitballs, sorry, how good is she in this as this character of Mason? And apparently, this is a little sci-fi inside. She, the character, was a male like Ripley in Alien, and it they swapped it once they cast the character or cast the actor. Yeah, well, that was good. She was quite. She was incredible in this. Yes, <laughs> with the teeth. Quite, quite memorable. Some of her, uh, we'll get to her little speech. At yeah, the start, her speeches which... were fantastic. But like, she's just so good. You know what I mean? I mean, look, she's a beautiful woman, like in reality. But in here, she's not beautiful. Like, she's just a very sort of maniacal, awful. She's crazy, crazy woman, isn't she? That's devoted to this system, the tr- the class system, because she's so she's really obsessed about Wilfred. It's religious, isn't it? Yeah, and she portrays everyone. So, uh, so it's written. It's written by Bung Jong Ho. No, no, it's directed by. Bung no, Bung. it's also written by him. Was it written by him and Kelly Masterson? Oh, sorry. Yes, okay. So I, there's the two yeah. of them that get the credit for the screenplay. Sorry. Yes. And then I keep going to say his name one last time, Bung Jong Ho, and that's it. We even watched <laughs> any the... Koreans out there, please send Wait. me some hate mail. Because uh, we, we we just sat before we did this show and listened to a minute ten YouTube yeah. of how to pronounce his name. So, so if you want to make a video, a YouTube video, pronouncing, 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 pronouncing <laughs> with Pron- pronunciation of proper just English to begin with, I'll watch that. And then if you want to do some Korean pronunciation, please do. I'll also watch that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> So, get stuck into the plot. How does this film start? It starts up with some nice little title credits. It does. There's sort of um, shapes obscuring the title credits and you realise it's it's kind of um, silhouetted. Oh, pardon me. Silhouetted things that are passing by and there's a bit of swirling snow. There is. And there's a um, news broadcast basically yeah. sort of news snippets and this is a popular thing to do in movies especially have, sci-fi movies, have the news futuristic the yeah we have a whole bunch of kind we have a montage of you know news real information kind yeah. of delivered quickly to the audience and to it, get us up to speed it indicates that in 2014 
CW7, which was is a, a chemical, mm. uh, was released into the atmosphere in order to reverse global warming. Yeah. And uh, they they very cunningly showed pictures of airplanes with contrails flying at the back, which many people have said are actually chemtrails, uh, yeah. which is government-sponsored you know, chemical dispersion for reasons unknown, but... Uh, but in this case maybe it's it's coronavirus come on I thought it was quite clever that they showed that with dispersing the CW7 because that is how you would disperse an aerosol in the upper atmosphere of course and then we uh, it just cuts straight into the train at that point well it it does tell us the world froze so it it says that they they were releasing this to help it and then the world froze. And then it's 17 years later and we're inside the train. Yeah, 17 years later, on board a train. Yep. And uh, we don't have a lot of context at this point. Like it's 2031. It's 2031, yes. That, right. uh, somehow in there is that, that information. For some reason, they had to tell us an exact year. Like yeah. it made a difference. And, and we open with soldiers coming down into this yeah, kind of into, compartment. It's, it's a dark, cramped space. Doors, Lots of people. Doors open and there's ranks of uh, forlorn-looking uh, look like prisoners almost. Yep. Uh, in rags. And Rubby, so forth. dirty. Yeah, and the soldiers line up and just start counting them. They want to count them. They They've click away on a little yeah. counter and make them sit down. One of them, though, doesn't sit down. He stands it, there for a, a bit longer. It's one of those counters that you get at nightclubs. Yeah, a you know, clicker. like a real clicker. <laughs> well, because you're on a train. <laughs> like, you're not getting past this. <laughs> it's on a train. That's the way they do it on a yeah, train. Isn't that's it? True. Have little yeah, it's old school. Mechanical devices. And, and and that's interesting, though, because they've been 17 years on this train. Although at this point, I'm not sure we 100% know that's the case, but yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. So. And you're right, this fella doesn't sit down. He doesn't sit down, and it goes back, and then he gets yelled at, and his buddy next to him says, hey, come on, sit down, what are you it's doing? It's not the time. And then he, <laughs> he sits down, and he says, like, oh, it's the all five doors are open for four. Exactly four seconds or something. Yeah. And the soldiers ask randomly for, is anyone a violinist? Yes. We just need your hands. <laughs> which is a bit <laughs> ominous if you ask it, me. It actually is, isn't it? It's a nice little, which, yeah, maybe. Oh, I didn't even connect just then what actually happened. So we'll come back to that. Um, and they give out, so they say that and no one really volunteers. And then they're giving out uh, this food ration. And mm. they all are pretty keen for this jelly glycinous kind of little slabs slightly pinkish colored i think yeah maybe. it doesn't look Brownie good i mean it, it, what's that type of cheese that's like that there's a type of cheese that's a bit like that it was a dip you know there's a i can't remember i don't the name know i think it's, it looks a bit like an agar jelly yeah like, it's very maybe, jelly maybe turkish delight but firmer. turkish delight which some weirdos like i'm not a big fan of turkish delight, but you know they, they're Presumably these little the slabs yeah but I, I don't know. We didn't see it in that Turkish movie we did all those times ago. Oh, maybe maybe Turkish delight is like French fries. It's not actually yeah, it's Turkish. Not, it's not Turkish. Perhaps it's Hungarian or Romanian. Yeah, stop being stereotypical, right? Um, sorry. If you're Turkish, do you like <laughs> Turkish delight? Let us know. Well, is it Turkish? Yeah, yeah. Let us know. I won't go down that rabbit hole. Is it made out of cockroaches? <laughs> <laughs> Just ask him. No, don't say that. It could be. I don't know. Um, anyway, Curtis and Edgar who's the friend, they talk about, is it time to take over the train? And they're sort of like, no, it's not quite time yet. Yeah, it's not time there's yet. All these, there's a lot of muffled voices. They're kind of edgy. You can tell they've been waiting for an opportunity. They get, they get the violinist, yep. but not his wife. 
Yeah, they don't want his wife. They just, just, want, one. just one of you. Just one of you. Soldiers. One says. unit. Yes. And so they, they take the violinist off and just they just they rip him away from his wife. Uh off he goes. And Curtis then oh, look, to be honest, I was a bit confused about this watching it, but Curtis then wants to trade his piece of jelly meat with it's like a little kid has a piece of yeah, jelly he, meat. He walks through the, the like, cabin. I, got, I, I just got confused with this. He sort of seems to be talking to people to him, yeah. and then uh, all of a sudden he wants to says, like, "Yeah, here, this, uh, yeah, Tim's got it." Mm. And they're kind of like he wants to trade, but the kid's a kid. He's like, "No, nah, puck you!" And he runs away, and then like, and the mum says, "Like, you can have mine," but the kid runs away, and then they're like chasing the kid. And and I suppose the whole point here is like we're seeing this section is like really crammed, isn't it? People are on yeah, there's, there's bunk beds on bunk beds on bunk beds. There's people on top of each other, and there's all sorts of like, you know, real Mad Max kind of styled shit everywhere, isn't there? Like there's yeah, just like, stuff everywhere, and there's no room to move or do anything beyond. Yeah, a lot of people your just little space. lying in their bunk. Yeah, and- yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, apparently that's what cruise ships are like. I've never been on one, but, you know, that's what they're like. <laughs> Is that before or after the food poisoning? Uh, I think it turns Mad Max just shortly yeah. after E. coli. <laughs> <laughs> then it turns into real Mad Max. You know, people start eating each other. Um, so the plan, uh, Curtis reveals the Igno, is that they want to take over the train, uh, take the engine, because past revolts have never taken the engine. And that's the key. But they get this block off the kid. Yeah, they get the block. And in it is a little pellet which he opens up and it's got a little message in it. Yes. It says... I don't know what it says. It's not terribly important though. No. It, well, it's, I think it says... No, I can't remember. Do you know, what was that first message? <laughs> I, I don't... Like, I remember the last message. The last message is train. Yes. And that's the thing. They're very cryptic messages. That's probably yeah. why we can't quite remember. But it, there is it, a little message. It wasn't true. It was just, it was clearly a, a signal of some yeah, sort. Yeah, signal like, like now's the time. Now's, now's the, the time, time. dude. Um, and the thing is with Curtis is that others are saying to him that he's the leader, but he's saying he's not the leader. He's no. denying his leadership. I can't lead. And even, even old uh, <laughs> Gilliam says, you know, you're going to have to lead. Or, and Edgar says, well, you know, Gilliam's getting old. He's going to die. Yeah. And you're going to have to take That's over. That's right. He, he says Gilliam. So Gilliam is this old man. He's got no legs. No, or one, arm, le- no one arm, arm and no leg. leg. Yeah. yeah. So he's a real invalid in that way. But he seems he was once the train driver or the train engine. He's got, I think he's just the leader type person. Yeah. Anyway, it's more of that is revealed later. In it the story. is actually sorry, yeah. But there's a guy that's not anyway. So Curtis is kind of panning off this idea of leadership and putting on, and then all of a sudden the soldiers come back, and they want the kids for a medical check. I take all the kids for a medical check, mm. and this causes a real confrontation. Like a mum of a child really fights them. Tries the father to hide them, tries yeah. to she tries to hide the child. That's right, and the father with his they grab his child. And he tries to fight them, and they beat him up. Um, and there's quite a violent struggle in this part with yeah. the guards, with the children, taking the children. And there's a woman in yellow, pure yellow suit comes yeah, out. Yeah, she's weird. She measures everything. She and... measures everything and she's quite happy with two of the children in yes. particular. Yeah, she's got a special measure tape that she kind well, of rips Tim out. and <coughs> Frank. Um, he's not, yeah. not Frank. I can't remember his name now. The curly-haired dad? Curly-haired dad's kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who also has curly hair? Yeah. 
So, and and at that point they're saying, maybe now's the time. But again, Curtis is like, no, it's not quite the time. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time you're like going, come on, Curtis, you got to make your move. Um, but because of the violent struggle, then we have this beautiful moment of Mason, Tilda Swinton, mm. enters the room and she's like this crazy ass devotee of Wilford who runs the train and she's there to punish the father. And they yes. get his arm. And there's these two weird guys as well. Like, yeah, like, like I found these guys really bizarre. Like, were they in a relationship together? Like, I yeah, always, they, like... Because they sort of had... Yeah, one of them had his head resting on his shoulder. Yeah, he like, and then he, like, shrugged little, it off. Wearing they're wearing little suits. Really, they were wearing really beautiful suits. And they were, like, head honcho guards. They weren't even... Henchmen. Yeah, yeah like... I don't of, know what the hell these guys were. But they're also, as we find out later, like, they're really good fighters. So that's what the deal was. But... I, I don't know if they were in a relationship, and I wanted to or know. Or they're brothers? Or the, yeah. Anyway, so they punish the father. They, like, kind of, they force his arm outside the train. They put a clock um, on him for seven minutes. Seven minutes. They say seven minutes will be plenty at this altitude. altitude. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's the word. And while, <laughs> while that is happening, uh, Mason, Tilda Swinton, delivers this beautiful speech, doesn't she? Oh, about like crazy ass speech. Like it's about like them being at the back of the train and we being in the middle of the you train. Don't wear and the, the shoe on your head. Yeah, she puts the, the shoe on his head because he threw the shoe at the woman. Yeah, the the woman in the yellow suit, and so he like she takes the you know. But it's just a total scene of. Of power, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like You're it's all the about foot and wear the head. Yeah, we wear the hat, you wear the shoe. Yeah, it's oh. and everyone has its place, and everyone knows what they're supposed to do. And then she does this weird yeah. hand action thing, like some sort they, of a ritual. Yeah, like and we're both sitting here in the in our studio doing this <laughs> doing hand that. action. You don't know. I'm sure you've seen the film. It's, well, they should have seen the film. They're she does so. this thing <laughs> with the shoe and the hand. Yeah. And, yeah, it's weird. There's multiple shots, and I mean, I just got to say it now rather than later with the technical thing. But there's quite a few shots through this speech, and that's the thing that we're told that he's out there for seven minutes. So, I mean, I don't know if it's, I didn't time it, but does her speech go for seven minutes? I don't know, but it's like. I think it's one of those things that maybe it's a a bit of a cultural thing because again in Australia we're very Western and our politicians it's all about the media and stuff. But in Asia, in some of these Asian countries where we do have different levels of communism and dictatorships and different political spheres and what we are granted with here, like I think that's where Bung Jong Ho has maybe taken a bit of inspiration and pushed it because it really felt to me like a strong body language of the message yeah. with the way she gestured her hands and, and the shoe and... And the repetition of, you rep- don't yeah. put a shoe, you we're each have a place. And you're, you're sort of thinking things like, you could imagine uh, a North Korean uh, speech. Yeah. Uh, maybe Bong has seen some North Korean propaganda type the, stuff. I, where think, I said, believe so. I this is the proper way, because it's yeah. a very, um, I don't know, it's that very, very class aware type of speech yeah this is you're at we're at the top and you're at the bottom and this is the proper way it all works Uh, yeah and this is this is correct and good essentially it is a power speech but it's it was really well done by tilda really well written somewhat comical yeah there still is a comical belief because at the end she goes well, what's the time? You know, like she yeah, hasn't spoken for not... seven minutes. Like oh. it was like it's still got another forty-five seconds, I believe. The oh, yeah, the so, general well, says maybe he's like, Wilfred oh. will want to say something. Yeah, then they call Wilfred, don't they? And it doesn't work. And, you know, yeah, he doesn't answer. Nothing happens. Which 
is great comedy because I think, again, like we think of those communistic moments of time and they can be all about power, but things can go wrong. Yeah. So in this case, she's like, well, let's call Wilford and he'll have something to add to this. Yeah. We can't get him on the line. You know? Like it's a great like because, again, this is in the future where apparently this is all that humanity has left is the people on the train. And, well, that's it, isn't it? You yeah. know. I did notice on a side note when we finally see the map of the world, the train never went through Australia. No. So maybe there was people in Australia. Mad Max, the Thunderdome. Hey, that's a fan theory. That's a fan theory. You heard it first. You're wondering what else has happened in the world while Mad Max is going on? It was snow. Snow. (laughs) And a train. Perpetual Christmas time. It was. So anyway, yes. So we had that beautiful speech. Pulls the arm out of the wall. And they smash it they with a big hammer. They smash it, yeah. Which is, it's this really awful thing where he hits it with a little spoon. Dunk, yeah. Dunk, 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 <laughs> Finding the soft dunk. spot. <laughs> Finds a bit where it turns, it's not fully frozen through. And they bash just before they that. smash that, yeah. It's and horrific, so, horrific. So he, the, the guy with his arm smashed, he obviously doesn't enjoy that very much. But, is it, you know, again, isn't that a great example? Isn't it? It's like, we're the powerful people. Here's a demonstration of power. We yeah. can rip someone's arm off, you know. Um I found it, you know, it was funny as well because he had the arm out the window and there was like moments he's like, ah, and then he's like, ah, and there's like nothing. And then there's another moment he's like, ah. <laughs> like, it was, it was really well done that. So after, anyway, after, after this, that, we discover that it is, they're going to get prepared. Yeah. So they, they start Im- pulling out drums and things. Yeah. Well, here they like get ready for their, um, they're getting ready for their takeover. Yeah. And then the emergency light comes on. So they're not quite ready. You know, they've kind of like got their drums lined yeah, they got up. Yeah, their drums lined up in a big They weren't quite sausage. ready when all of a sudden someone was coming. Yeah. Yeah. And they line up to have their roll call taken. Yep. And yeah, sure enough, the soldiers come in and start clicking and they all sitting down at the time. Yep. Uh, and then there's this question about uh, bullets because... Mason had said, I put that because Gilliam came up and sort of confronted her for a moment. Yeah. And, and Gilliam said, I'll put that useless gun away. And so Curtis is convinced there's no bullets left. They've gone extinct from the last revolution. Yep. They've basically gone through all their bullets. That's correct. Because on this train, there's a finite resources. Yeah. There are some things can be recycled, like the water and obviously their protein blocks. Yep. But there are some things that are just, you know, bullets are one of them, seems. And it's getting tense, and they're they're about to make the people sit down in front of this uh, bunch of barrels that are all joined together, mm-hmm. which I pretty much guess was so they could they got four seconds to jam it in between all the doors. Yeah. So there's they're gonna go up, and they're saying, "Do we do it now?" And the people are starting to grab knives. They're getting ready, and Curtis is going like, "We don't, we don't know." So he he suddenly rushes forward and grabs the rifle that is aimed at at uh, someone. Yeah. And puts it to his head and then reaches forward with his thumb and pulls the trigger and goes, click. No bullets. And there's no bullets. Suddenly everyone just goes, ah, there's no yeah. bullets. There's a violent they, fight. They smash these guards down and they run forward with these barrels and yeah. charge it through all the doorways and knock all the doors down and there's sort of a bit of a fight and there's a guard at the end with a, what is he, swinging around there, something big and heavy. Yeah, he's got axe or something. Yeah, and then yeah. they're like that, that little skinny bugger runs up and, jumps and hangs and stabs and it's <laughs> he's a beautiful some sort of little, little violent dude at the back isn't he you know? yeah he's he's pretty keen on getting through and bingo bongo oh that's what the, the little pellet was telling him 
Ma uh, Soon Ho, whatever his name is, is a security expert locked in the oh, that's prisoner right. yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what the little pellet was. And so that's why they, yeah. they get so they get up through into the prisoner section and they pull out the uh, security specialist. Yes. So this um, scruffy looking fellow who's a drug addict. Yes. This chronol, which is uh, an industrial waste product that gets people high, apparently. Yeah. And there's a tense confrontation with him where they have to use his little translation tools. Yeah. And I, I like this little plot point because yeah. it would have been easy just to have him speak English. Yeah. Unless maybe the actor doesn't speak very good English. But he probably does, you know. Like, Well, you could convince it. Yeah, he, he could fake it. I mean, Jackie Chan did it for his first few films. He just sort of, he couldn't really speak English, but he just kind of repeated back the lines that he had mm. to. And Will Farrell did it in that Spanish yeah, so it's like every day you just learn the lines and you say it. Yeah, but anyway, so instead of doing that, they stuck to having Korean. Yeah, which I think is also because he's a Korean director, he he probably wanted to have some Koreanness in it. I think so. Yeah, he so wanted he, he wanted he didn't want to like you know totally whitewash the film. No, so so that was quite good. They had these little translator devices and speaks to him, and there's a c- confrontation uh, where he's not very forthcoming. He seems yeah. a bit grumpy. Uh, and it's revealed that he's got his daughter in prison with him, that he, he says she's coming along with us, yeah. and I want two blocks of chronol per Hold gate door. we get through. Yeah. He keeps calling them gates. gates. And they go, yeah, sure, no worries. Uh, and thus they go up to the first door. And she's into the Cronus too. So the, yeah. the, the thing here is everyone's kind of like, ugh, these drug, druggies, you know, like do we yeah, have to work with these And who are these guys these to judge? They're cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is it worse to be a cannibal or a drug addict? I mean, come on. But I think the whole thing is like they're suspicious of like the success, aren't they, of it, that this guy's... He, he doesn't yeah, look very reliable. He doesn't look reliable. They give him the Cronus and he, him and his daughter kind of sniff it and they're, you know... And his daughter seems to have slightly prophetic utterances yeah. about the coming door opening. Yeah. And sure enough, they open the first door and it's empty bunk beds. Yeah. And some little trays. So these guys must be the um, just above. These these are the economy, the ultra economy, or ultra economy. Yeah, yeah, because their their bunk beds and everything are not a lot better. It looks a bit prison like, really. Yeah, it looks more like where we came from. From the tail is just grubby and overcrowded and all that. This place just kind of looks a little bit cleaner. And their their beds in the back end are sort of made of old piping. You can still see some of the uh, valve handles on it and stuff. But this is. This had a remind reminded me a bit of a prison, or maybe a a, a, a freighter ship. Sort but are of they the dormitory? guards then? Are they like were maybe, they the guard maybe beds that the they guards. just killed? Yeah, but they so one thing they get to see here, but is then they sit, finally see a window. Oh and yeah, they, they get to see the, the world. You know? Yeah, and they get to see that well, the world is frozen. And this is our, our first chance to see that it the is. world is indeed frozen. Yeah, because so far they've been in the tail end; it's all been dark. Yeah, it's quite difficult to see. So then they push forward through the next gate, and they come across Paul, who was someone they knew. Mm. Um, He'd been taken, and earlier. they thought he was sending the messages. Yeah, to Curtis, and they kind of come across him, and again, he's he. I mean, a bit like um, Nangon, he's. He, he's he's a bit shady again. Like, he's not quite with it, is yeah, he? Yeah, he's like, a bit cray-cray. He's a bit cray-cray. Um, and when they finally... 
they look into where he's making them. Right. And he's like all happy about making them the protein blocks. And, you know, like it, it doesn't seem like any, you know, he doesn't want to leave. Yeah. And then they kind of look into, or a couple of them, Curtis and another guy, look into what is in the protein bars and they realize it is all cockroaches and bugs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's not anything. It's not I, I thought it was a rather strong reaction from Curtis, considering yeah. the conditions he's been living in. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have thought he would have that strong a reaction. Sure, maybe he'd go, oh, that's not... But you've got to think, what else did you think it was? Yeah. Like, really? I guess you could hope it was some kind of algae yeah. or yeast. And come on, it's but, slightly better than soil and green, isn't it? Yeah, like it's better than the, what they're eating before. People. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were they're eating people for ages. So he makes the food, these protein blocks, and they're made of bugs. Um, and then there's a message. There's actually a message that they notice. Um, mm. And this time it says, water. Water. And, and Gilliam says, oh, the water carriage is control carriages for is next yeah 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 coming up and yeah if we control the water then we can get a negotiation point yeah we control and, the train yeah. and curtis is like yeah um, he's not entirely sold on stopping there mm. but and i have to say i sort of suspicious of gilliam's here going oh just stop there just stop mm. there the whole time he's kind of let's not go too far but you know yeah. he's, he's an old dude with missing limbs Anyway, then Curtis does talk to you know the daughter, and he's saying to her, yeah, he's saying to her this idea of like you seem to know what's beyond the yeah, next door, what's, what's the and next they're one? unlocking her dad's unlocking the gate and uh, the door, and she actually says, "Don't open, yeah, don't the open gate. it," and it's too late. The gate <laughs> opens. Dad, dad sort of, he, just as she says it, he puts the last wire, yeah, in. and it opens, and there's all these men. In balaclavas, ski masks with axes and spears yeah. and stuff. And don't you just love that the the balaclavas are in ski masks? Like it's just their mouths. Yeah, like it's not their weird. eyes. Like it, it is just their mouths. Yeah, and this is a a classic movie um, technique, and it's used in Star Wars with the stormtroopers. Yeah, by giving them these faceless masks, you dehumanize them. You do because it it wasn't the point that they were people. The point was there was a lot of them. Yeah. And they were looking tough. They were. And they've got these like full-blown, you know, axes. And, you know, like they're not just standing there, you know, ready to beat them up. They've all got these weapons. Axes. Um, and, so, and then they then do this yeah. odd thing. They pull out a yeah. big fish. Pull out a big giant fish. And then like cut it with the axe so the axe has fish blood on it. Yeah. And then they pass the fish around and... They're all like slicing and the fish. And I don't quite get that, except maybe it was showing that the axes were sharp and they had fish. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's a bit gruesome, isn't it? And, so, know, and like, it's a, be, Curtis says to Edgar, he says, be careful. Which is one of those funny things. He's like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I will. No, I'm not going to be careful. Because it would make such a difference if I'm careful here. These guys have axes. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. best for me to be a little bit reckless, actually. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm never too sure about that line, are you? Like, it's always a bit like... Are you saying it because you guys are like really tough and like normally you just win all your battles? I have and a then feeling this is like this is going to be a tough one. I think it's just a substitute for saying I don't want you to get hurt. Yeah, like it's a man. I, I, I care Sorry, about you. I love you, but I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, be careful. Watch yourself. <laughs> Watch your back, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro. Bro. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. It is like enough, that, enough brewing, yeah. <laughs> and then a f- hilarity ensues. That's well, right. a fight ensues. And a blood brutal spatters, fight ensues, doesn't it? Spatters on the windows, yeah. spatters on people's faces. There's people being hacked. And it's it's quite a realistic one in that there's a lot of... There's, I don't think there's any music while this is playing. No, it's just and a it's just, fight. It's just kind of people sort of grunting and, and being in pain. It's not that over the top. Whoopsh, whoopsh. There's a really great, um, yeah, to me this is actually, I remember when I first saw this, the, um, the first viewing of this, this was a scene that stood out to me because there's a moment in the fight as well that Curtis slices and dices his way through mm. and it's quite a long, you know, it might go for 45 seconds or 60 seconds, which doesn't sound long, but in the action sequence it is really long yeah. where he kind of, you know, he goes forward and he fights someone and slices them and then there's someone over his back and he kind of stabs him in the back and he has to turn when someone's sliding in at his leg and he hits them and then, you know, as he's like pulling his arm around someone else's cut, but then Egna kind of slices that guy and you kind of followed him and at the same time in the foreground, in the background, you've got all these people fighting. It's a great way of, you know, if you watch things like Game of Thrones and Vikings, it's a great way for the audience to follow the main character yeah. but feel like you're in the battle scene yeah. unfolding and it's not just one guy slice, they fall over. It's actually like this is what the battle would be like. Like you're hitting someone and someone else comes in with yeah, their axe, you and know? he was ignoring a number of people because if they were already engaged with someone yeah. else, he sort of ignores them and concentrates on yeah. what he's going. And he's trying to keep, like, I think in the symbol of this story, is he keeps trying to move it's, forward. It's like, showing his yeah, his determination, he's to, determined to, to like not take. You know, like there might be people behind him fighting, but he wants to keep shoving forward to get mm. to the the front of the train. But I think it's a really great tra- train. And then the train hits like an ice part where they all have to sort of like stop fighting. Is, it, is that after the bridge? Um, I thought it's I before thought, the tunnel. No, yeah, because no, uh, Mason comes out and says, "Oh, stop, stop!" That's right, yeah. And and everyone's sort of a bit shocked by this loudspeaker blaring, telling them to stop. Oh, that's right, yeah. And they're crossing this bridge. We're we're crossing the narrows bridge. Yeah. And as the audience is going, and but everyone sort of seems to stop, like, oh wow. Oh yeah, that's right. And it's New Year's. And then it's like Happy New Year's. Yeah, <laughs> and like Woo! yeah, like and. Uh, Edgar even says, oh, I hate getting older. Yeah. Like, like that's the thing you're worried about when you're in the middle of this train car full of, you know... People, yeah. Axe-wielding maniacs. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and then they, they uh, yeah, blockages ahead. Yeah, and, so and she the, delivers a speech about them being filthy. Filthy, yes. <laughs> filthy, um, what did she say? She, yeah, I just wrote down... In, I'm trying in, to... Oh, yeah, they're ingrates. Ingrates, yeah, you're not... You're not you know, you're you've got to know your place in here, and then this is where she kind of like grins a bit evilly, and there's like darkness, and it's a tunnel. Yeah, yeah. We get we get uh, well, we get we, they hit through a few ice blockages first, which sort of knocks everyone yeah. around, makes them all have to sort of it it knocks the fight out of everyone yeah, a little bit and stuns them, and that's where then she picks up her little goggles, and all mm. the dudes pull down goggles, and uh, Ma is that is that his name? Nam. Nam Gong Min Song. Yeah, so they, well, they call him Nam. So they, they said to, you know, Nam says, oh, you're all fucked. Yeah. And sure enough, they, they enter it and they it's, say, why? It's the longest train. It's a big tunnel. Yeah. And it's a long one. It's a long tunnel, And it goes yeah. pitch black. But all of the soldiers are pulled down, night vision goggles. Yeah, so they can see. And then we're seeing through the eyes of the captain, I assume. Yeah. 
So we've got the night vision and there's just massacre now the other direction. Well, now they're not kind of fighting. They're kind of like hovering, aren't they? And then the bad, you know, the soldiers are kind of like taking executive swipes yeah, to slaughter just, people. They're moving in there. It's just, yeah. it's turning into a bit of a massacre yeah. on part of the tailenders now. The tailenders were doing quite well. Yeah, not quite it was well, pretty they equal. were pushing their yeah. way in. And now they're being pushed back. And Mason is loving it. She's like, this is going to be good. Yeah, don't look at me. Look back that way. <laughs> and Curtis calls for fire. Yeah, which he, was a well, he kind remembers of... um, that kid took the cigarette yeah. matches. Yes. Uh, yeah, so then they, they light some torches. Yeah, and, and that guy, that skinny-ass skinny warrior dude, dude, suddenly runs all the way to where they are. I was always like, why is he not fighting? He's obviously a good fighter. He seems to like it. <laughs> he seems to like killing people. Why is he not fighting? But from this point on, he does. But he yeah. kind of hung back, didn't he? he? Wasn't Which is, again, interesting culturally, I think, is... You do take other things like Game of Thrones and Vikings and stuff and you have your best fight at the front. Whereas in this scenario, that dude did kill someone and then he just kind of went back to the Yeah, back. well, they called him in yeah. to kill that guy. Yeah. So Kills him and then goes back to his Yeah, he's, 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 he's done his bit. So, they come <laughs> so he comes running with the, with the fire. All the torches. And then with the torches, the battle swings back the other yeah. way. Yeah. And there's a, this fighting back and forward and then Curtis takes the uh, one of the controllers hostage yeah. Oh, no, no, this is the, the no, fighter then, dude. Takes him hostage and shows him the tattoos on his arms, surrender yeah, or die. Yeah. And the guy says, surrender, surrender, put him all right. down. And, and Mason says... Mason sort of looks at him and goes... Yeah, yeah who cares? And he gives him some sort of weird dismissive gesture. Yeah. So he kills, so he kills him. him and they keep fighting. And then... Then she gets stabbed. She cops a, a, a thrown knife in her thigh yeah, or suddenly, something. yeah. And you know, she goes, okay, I've got to get out of here. And Curtis charges forward and going well, to get no, to right her. before that, yeah, Curtis... Yeah, he's going to get to her, but yeah. he's caught up short because now that weird suit dude suit dude <laughs> has his Edgar, Edgar yeah. with a knife to him. Yeah. And Curtis looks back and there's a bit of agonized and yeah. he goes, screw it. I've got to achieve this. this there's yeah. no time to stop now. So he pushes forward. Uh, Edgar looks like he's about to get away, but gets stabbed in the back. Yeah. And then they, they capture Mason and, nice. uh, and the, the battle is over. Yeah. And she calls everyone to stop fighting and yes. surrender. It's a good scene, that one, isn't it? Because he 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 has a moment where he's like, he could save Egna or kind of get to the door. And you know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he has to make that decision between getting through the next gate or saving Egna and he decides well, to... There's almost like a bit of a communication when they look where, where Curtis goes, and, and Egna just sort of realizes that he's got to go yeah and he, he, I, he, he sort of it's a tough one but he's not happy about it but he, no. he's kind of it's not like curtis goes and he looks all betrayed no curtis goes and he sort of ah, okay i understand that and then he tries to escape he yeah. knocks the guy back a bit but gets cops in yeah. the back it's a tough one but after everything they've gone through you're kind of like dude that's a rough i wonder if you thought about going back and have a bit of a taste <laughs> I he was he about to eat him as a oh no that's later in the story yes um and he caps her and he captures mason and she stops fighting yeah they, they have a prisoner and they, they threaten to cut her arm off yeah in fact the the dude whose name i can't remember who had his <laughs> arm sad, yeah. frozen off yeah. threatens to chop her arm off and she suddenly kind of turns a bit saying 
Wilfred's the one with the answers. Like, we need to get to Wilfred. Yeah, you kill and, him and let me live. Yeah, like, I'll take you to Wilfred and then and then you can act, you have to kill him. You know, this is a really cool, again, oh, I love this character in this mm. movie. Like, she is just the bomb in this well, story. It's so, I've, but, the feeling I got from her there is like, she's devoted to Wilfred because he's so powerful. Yes. Which means it's like, you've got to kill him. Yeah. Because if you kill him... Well, then I'm okay. Then I'm, I'm sweet. I'm not going to... Yeah. Otherwise, I'm still in his power, in which case yeah. he's awesome. Yes. And, you know, yeah. I, I love him. If you're... Curtis, you're going to be Wilfred, sure. I'll be, you know, I'll be the same for you. Yeah. But I'm not... You're going to kill him. Otherwise, I'm dead either way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, <laughs> that's the deal. She's very clear. So they kind of decide that... Uh, and... Um, Gilliam uh, Gilliam yeah. has said, you know, you've gotten further than anyone else has gotten before, Curtis. You know, we will stay here. We'll wash up. We will replenish. Yeah, your men are tired. Your men are tired, injured. You know, we'll take care of the prisoners. You go forward. You know, this has been the biggest success that we've ever had. Um, but it's it's about him also saying, well, you're the leader, isn't it, in that moment? Like, you yeah. have to embrace you're, this. If you're going forward, you're the one who's leading forward. Yeah. And it's a bit of a, what do you call him, Alexander the Great moment. Well, Alexander the Great, he wanted to conquer all of Asia Minor, like India and so on. And his advisors said, you know, we're all kind of, like, you've got a pretty big empire already and we're all kind of a bit tired, tired. of traipsing all about the place. But yeah, Alexander goes, nah, cuts a gorge and says, I'm leading you into Asia Minor. Uh, and he... Yeah, lost a lot of his troops because yeah. uh, his own tactic of having his troops marry into the local population to prevent revolts also meant then that they were all kind of happy. Like, well, we got like you gave us, we got land from conquering, and we've got families here, mm. and yeah, we kind of. Why like do just, I kind of want? We kind of like to just stay here. This is really <laughs> we, sweet. Yeah, you know? This is a good deal I've got now. You've given us a good deal. I don't want to move on. And now. and I think this is a bit Gilliam's is it saying yeah the men are, are tired. We've gotten further than anyone before. We've got water. We've got, you know, a long way. If you're going to go forward, it's it's on your own. Yeah. And so he does. And he takes, it takes obviously Nam and his daughter. And he takes... Mason um, as their capture. Mason's captive. And, and the one-armed guy whose name escapes me. Mm. And Tim's mum, whose name also escapes me. Uh, and although I found it hard taking her seriously because she's in the office, isn't she? No. She's in one of these. Um, 30 Rock, I think, isn't it? 30 Rock, 30 yeah. Rock, she, yeah. She's, she's one of these comedies where she's quite yeah. good. Yeah, she is. And so I was, I was struggling taking her. She quite does the seriously. same, like, head shake, you know, yeah, that she does, yeah, in both of them. She, <laughs> I mean, she's quite good in this yeah. movie, but I was, yeah, because I associated with a comedic role, it, it was tough. It was like watching Matt LeBlanc in, in the Lost in Space movie. Yeah. Where he's like, I kept waiting for him to say something like Joey. Yeah. But he was but trying, trying to be a. Uh, an action hero and he's just like Joey no you're not fooling anyone (laughs) where's our Joey (laughs) so anyway yeah, so they go go through and they come across the sushi station don't they oh yeah they walk into the the aquarium this is incredible a a train car aquarium tunnel like you get Mm. at at the Perth Aquarium or the Sydney Aquarium yeah probably the San Diego Aquarium I've not been there I'm gonna guess and yeah and there's a just a sushi chef Mm. the little sushi bar and your mason says, oh, would you like some sushi? You're very lucky. It's only twice a year, once at New Year's, once in June or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so it's this weird little 
sidebar where everyone's sitting there really enjoying their sushi. Yeah, and that's when she says, uh, like, it's a bit of a metaphor oh, for the aquarium. Like, yeah, it's that a closed there's ecosystem. A, it's a closed ecosystem like the train. Like, we have to keep everything in balance. You can't have the fish overpopulate in different numbers. Yeah. You have to keep it an equilibrium. Yeah, so we could have more sushi. Yeah. But then you deplete all the fish. Yes. Which, and I think this movie does carry a bit of an environmentalist message too. Yeah, yeah, of course. the earth is a closed ecosystem. Yep. And there's only so many resources we can take and we have to be responsible to achieve a, an equilibrium. But Definitely. Yeah, and it, it was, it was a, this bizarre um, demonstration of the privilege, the differences, levels in privilege where there's, there's sitting there a chef just making Fresh sushi, sushi yeah. which is just miles away from their protein blocks, Yeah, which they make Mason eat. Yeah. They take the sushi off her and give her a protein block. They do. She, ginger, she actually eats, eats She does eat it. it. Yeah, she goes for it. She knows that Curtis is going to be the next leader, so she knows. Quite yeah, so. So they go forward into a next crazy carriage, which is the school. School, which with is. With the pregnant teacher. Um, and they sing songs about Wilfred. And they've got the hand actions. They've got all Every the hand actions. Going into the you future. Know, snobby little, like, blonde American teenage girl kind of thing that's like, the people at the back uh, eat each other, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, she's, um, you know, Willy Wonka, the. Yeah. Yeah. Veruca Salt. Veruca Salt. She's she, exactly she's like that. Exactly yeah. Veruca Salt. And this world is very Willy Wonka, isn't yeah, it? I'm, because. I'm, I'll talk a bit about that in a little yeah. bit because there's, there's a whole Willy Wonka um, fan theory on this right. one. Right. Yeah, because it's definitely there in that room suddenly, isn't it? It's all bright and cheerful and that. And, I mean, they sing songs about Wilfred being the saviour and it's it's beyond just and if we, someone running the train. It's like it, he's a god. It does remind me a bit of North Korean yeah. stuff you sort of see cool. where the school kids sing the praises of the great leader. And, and, and this they, they're saying if they go outside the train, we die. If yeah, the train well, engine stops, we die. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but they they mention that, don't they? Like they suddenly the teacher says, "Oh, it's the anniversary," and it's like the at some point in the past, these people tried to stop the train, uh, the, failed the the famous five the or seven, the seven or something, and then that we're passing them. They they tried to stop the train, they couldn't, so they jumped off the train, and look how far they made it. And about a hundred meters from the train, there's these frozen, frozen people, yeah, yeah, figures. You don't really see them up close, but you can see the, the shape of Nam explains to calls you know over and says, I want you to see this. Yeah. And the lead woman there, she was a, a cleaning woman in the, the uh, first class coaches. Uh, she was an Inuit, you yeah. know, an Eskimo. And yeah. she would tell me about all the different types of ice and snow. And so I figured she would have a chance. But there's you know, there's they're all frozen. Yeah. Too cold. Which is a really nice storytelling device, isn't it? Mm. Because in that moment, as an audience, you're like, there is no way off this train. Yeah, like, and he's even saying it when then later he's claiming you should, we should get off the train. Yeah. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's like he's telling his daughter the warning story, mm. which is us as an audience as well because we don't really know either. We're learning about this world like well, the Well, I think his point of view changes in the uh, greenhouse carriage, mm. which is only sort of explained... Um, at the end as well. Yeah, yeah, it's not really explained, explained in omission. Yeah. Because uh, I, well, yeah, so we, they bring out the eggs, the celebration eggs, it, the New Year's Eve celebration eggs, mm. after having a whole big hoopla about everything. Yeah. 
and the violinist, jolly good the violinist comes the out. The violinist comes out, and his string breaks uh, yeah. because he the eggs are handed out. Celebration eggs are handed out and uh, it's jolly by good. some dude who's credited as Egghead. Yeah, and he looks like an Egghead. And Curtis looks at the bottom of his egg, and there's a capsule yeah. message inside of it. And as they're going down, handing out the eggs to the back, the, the tailing carriage passengers and everyone. He opens this thing and it unfolds it says blood and then yeah. the violin string snaps and it flicks back and cuts the violinist's face. Yeah. And then we cut to Egghead and he's handing out the eggs to the tail end passengers who say, Oh, I thought chickens were extinct. And Egghead says, Oh no, well there's a number of things that people think are extinct but yeah. aren't. Yeah. Oh, like what? Which is like one of those foolish questions yeah. to ask. Because had they not asked that question, he wouldn't have been able to make his little one liner yeah. and kill them all. He says, like, and he pulls out a gun, like bullets. Bullets. Shoots a bunch of guys and unlocks the captured guards and the funny suit-wearing fellow. Yeah. Uh, and they chip over the egg cart, go a whole bunch of guns, and they they go to town. Massacre on the them, yeah. And then there's, likewise, in the school carriage. Yeah, the pregnant the, the teacher. teacher whips out a little out machine pistol thing eggs. and starts blaming away and shoots one-armed curly-haired dude and uh, a couple other guys. And uh, who is it chucks a knife into her throat? Skinny dude. Skinny fighter guy does. He does, yeah. I wish he knew his name. Yeah, we should. Gray. His name was Gray. Gray? Yes, okay. I looked let's it up on, on Wikipedia. Okay, right. let's go Gray. Chucks a knife into her throat, which is kind of controversial from, from a Hollywood point of view because she was, yeah. first yeah, of all, she was blonde and white and yep. a teacher. And secondly, or thirdly, depending on how you count these things, pregnant. <laughs> yeah. But Hwatushka. It was okay because she was shooting people. Yeah. In a schoolroom, isn't yeah, it? In a schoolroom, yeah. Funny that it's actually the, the teacher. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't show what happens to the kids at this point. No. I think they just Ducked hide. under the desk. Yeah. Because let's Maybe face like it, it'd be a bit scary. Yep. Uh, and yeah, so they, they progress on through. They go forward. Well, they, kept, they pick up Mason and they're not happy with Mason. Uh, and she cops a bullet in the face at that point. She does. Because they oh, they see the the video screen monitor. Oh, they've got right. Gilliam, Gilliam on yeah, his gets knees. gets executed by the hitman. Yeah, the, yeah. the old suited dude. The suit him. guy just shoots him. So then they blooded. shoot Mason in the face. So they shoot Mason in the face. Curtis does it. Yeah. Yeah. And continue on. And they continue on. And then so they hit this point in the train. They're moving forwards. Um, going through some interesting things like a sauna and yeah, we go, uh, well, well, they don't a spa sort of, they, thing. They the go spa through like a, like a restaurant and yeah, a bar and, and, a, and a... Yeah, some sort of with pool. swimming pool arrangement. Yeah. And while in a swimming pool arrangement with a glass dome, yeah. they have the to go around a very curves. tight corner. Yeah. yeah, And let's call him the hitman. Yeah. Uh, dude in the suit. He sees them through... The yeah, you can curve. see because because the the train is curved around on it, so like yeah. the, the shape of a letter U. Yeah, and so he shoots through the glass. Yeah, which the others aren't happy with. No, and then and Curtis shoots back with the you know the other guard says you can't do that, sir, and yeah. he smacks him in the face. He, he says, does. Shut up. Yeah, and he's like sticking some sort of putty things in the bullet holes. And yeah, there's this cool sort of gunfight back and forth. Yeah, uh, and then they they pass around a, a bunch of buildings. They run out and of bullets, cranes, and things. Which blocked them, and they reload, and they just stare at each other through their respective little hole, and they each fire one shot, and the bullet lodges in the glass, like right at the person's head, yeah. but doesn't go through. And it's at that point they realise that they're they're just not 
they can't penetrate the glass no. on the other side. Yeah. They can only just barely shoot through where they are, and so they move on. They do. <laughs> it's kind of that, you know, that uh, we want to get each other, but we can't just now, so we'll, we'll accept yeah. it. Anyway, so then he kind of like, the hitman catches up to them, but doesn't he, where they get into yeah. while the, the delay in trying to open the gates, you know. Yeah. Um, the hitman comes up and it's this real sudden hand-to-hand violent scene, isn't it? You know, they, like, they go through the sauna section. Yeah, they go through the sauna section. There's steam everywhere and there's like... So you can't see, but he's sort of like, he even kills one of his guards, yeah. one of his soldiers, because he's kind of like not sure what's going on or well, who yeah, he's killing. he shoots... He shoots, shoots someone a passenger, in a yeah. passenger. So you shot a passenger, but you shoots well, the guard. Shoots and the guy says, I didn't see anything. I didn't, I've got no problem with this or yeah. something, yeah. And uh, anyway, then he's kind of like opening these sauna doors looking for them and um, it becomes this real violent, you know, Again, up fire, close, yeah. you know. And this hitman, he takes them all down, doesn't yeah, he? I mean, he like gray, literally... Grey fights and gets a knife through his hand and yep. he, he takes... Knocks Curtis down, just about stabs him, and that's yeah. When... Knocks out Uno. Um, he... The the father has a crack. Like they all kind of have a crack with him, but he just kind yeah. of and annihilates. Sort of, and then um, uh, uh, Tim's mum. Yep, she so, has just she, she goes, "You son of a bitch." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's crazy that bit because it's like. He's just taking out those. He's just taking out Gray, who's yeah. an actual fighter. You're not going to really probably. So do anyway, that. she she gets shot in the gut or something. Yeah, and, um, they all they and the father as well. The one arm fighter. Yeah, gets, and, he has a crack. And, yeah, like Nam is has got him pinned down with his crowbar. Yeah, and then his daughter comes up to stab him with the knife, but Nam doesn't want him killing. Yeah, so she knocks him away. So he knocks her away, but that's okay because Curtis picks up the knife and shoves it in his side. And yeah, he passes out. Yeah, and we assume he's dead, but of course. He's too weird to die. There he comes back later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then they they push on. Um, uh, Kurnus, yeah, and then uh, Timmy's mum is dying. Is dying. Yeah. And well, and with Curtis, she he promises to find Timmy. It's yeah. kind of like a dying wish. Um, and then they push on, and they kind of then come into this party train. Suddenly, yeah, everyone's partying, everyone's it's like drinking. A nightclub, it's like a nightclub, all mostly young people. A lot of people doing the Cronus, and that's what we get from Nam and his daughter. You know, they kind of grab as much Cronus, and you have everyone going, "Hey, that's my Cronus!" Yeah, I'll kill hey, you, I'll kill you. There's a lot of that going on in the background. And um, this is also the thing: is that 18 years of being on this train, and the pinnacle is a sushi chef and a nightclub train. Yeah, carriage. Yes. And there's people just sort of sitting around getting manicures, Wasted. pedicures, and there's people in the in the dining cart or the bar cart just sort of sitting around in their fancy gear. And well, again, like how many of those parties can you go to where it it kind of becomes boring, doesn't it? Well, that's the thing. Is like it's they've like, got a nicer life, as it were. Yeah. But they've probably got less motivation. They do. They don't have much motivation. Like they're just kind of. It's like it reminds me of Wally. Yeah. You know where they've been out. Yeah. On this cruise for so long, they've just become blobs in chairs. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they get through the, the nightclub and grab all the chronol and they get out, they enter this this weird thing with a, a narrow bridge. And I think we're told earlier that over the narrow bridge is the last gate yeah. to the, the engine. And they go over there and there's like this weird sort of grinding. It's the working part of the train, yeah. yeah. They're over on the other side. And before them is the final door to the engine. And this is where they have this confrontation where uh, Curtis really wants this gate open and 
Nams is not had a bit of a fight, and then Curtis reveals the backstory. Yeah, and he oh. says so. Ten thousand people got on the tail section. Ten thousand or a thousand? Yeah. No, ten thousand. And the soldiers took everything off us. Yeah. So there's nothing left. We had nothing, and we had to. After a month, we ate the week. Yeah. Which is pretty shocking. Like suddenly, isn't to hear it funny? That. He uses the term month and week. Yeah. But not day. I, yeah. anyway, I just, I just found it was an interesting kind of. Um, almost poetic, you know, after a month we ate the week. And he says a great line, babies taste the best. Yes. <laughs> and that's what's my takeaway on this. This is, where, this is what Chris Evans wanted to do, okay? He didn't yeah. want to be Captain America. He wanted to do a role that was a bit risky. He was a bit And tortured. he wanted to say, babies taste the best. Yeah, and he, he relates this story about a knife-wielding man killing... Four a- men. Uh, yeah, leading, leading some men and, and killing a mum and taking a baby. Which I'm going to And they're going to kill the baby. But then this old man comes up who's Gilliam and cuts, he, cuts takes the baby off. and they think, oh, he wants to kill the baby himself. But he cuts his own arm off and says, if you're so hungry, eat this. Yeah. And it was a turning point. Yeah, and then suddenly everyone like wakes up out of their um, crazy... Panic. panic, toilet yeah. paper panic. There's a toilet paper panic here. If you <laughs> want to wipe your bum so badly, use yeah. this, you know. Yeah, that's right. And and that explains, of course, why uh, it had been mentioned earlier where he's talking about, you know, um, how can I be a leader when I've got two arms? Yeah. And you're going, what the hell? Yes. And you see this scar on his arm there and you you, you don't know and you, you know that Gillen's missing an arm and a, and a leg. And we find out that, in fact, it was a case that, yeah, he couldn't, even bring himself. Yeah, people offered limbs for. Yeah, people were giving up their arms and legs, yeah. and he couldn't. He couldn't do it. Do it himself. <clears throat> yeah, he tried, but he couldn't do it. But this is this is a lovely response back when Nam says, "Yeah, you, you and your gates, you come along." That's the gate I want to get through, and he points to the side side door, door not the exit. The and he says, "You might see, take it as a wall, but I see it as a, a gate. gate." Yeah, that's the only way we're going to get out. Of this. You know, it's that old thing. The only way to win is to not play. Yeah, and. Curtis then, doesn't really get agree with that. Yeah, Curtis says you're gonna you're gonna go out and die. You're crazy, yeah. old man. And he says no. Actually, when we crossed the bridge at New Year's, I looked down and I've done this every year for past ten years or something. Mm. And there's a crashed airplane down there. The first time was just the tip of the tail, and then a little bit more. And this time I looked down and you could see the whole body and the wings. Mm. And then he said, uh, and when I, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, there's the snow is now the type of snow. That's right. Because he's, he's throwback to this Inuit woman telling about yeah. snow and ice that's ready to melt. So, and we get a bit of flashback to this snowflake which came in through the bullet yeah. holes that uh, Curtis put when he sort of frosted past and, and Nam took particular interest in this snowflake. Yeah. And then finally, he sort of relates back to him walking through the garden carriage and he looked out the window and he saw, Oh, but you won't believe me. Yeah. And I imagine at that point he's saying he saw like the polar bear. Yeah. Or penguins or something. Something. Something yeah. alive out there. Yeah. And yeah. And so even after this, Curtis is kind of like, yeah, I'm, I've really got to get in there. And, and then, then he, he says about the Cronus. Yeah. You and your, your bloody Cronus. And he, he says, oh, it's explosive. And he packs it up, sticks it on the door, sticks in a fuse, and says, you know, give me the match and we'll light it. And the gate opens. The blonde, the woman that, in the yellow that, suit. That woman, she just steps out and just... Yeah, shoots, shoots him. Nam. 
uh, Nan falls over. He's not dead, but he's he's wounded. And she measures the Cronus. Yeah, she measures it. <laughs> Which takes, is weird. I takes it off the door. Yeah, yeah. And then walks back inside and invites Curtis in. And we finally meet... Uh, Wilfred. Wilfred. Ed Harris. Ed Harris, yes. Who, they really upped his sound, I found, in this, like his voice. Um, he's a great actor. He's been in lots of, you know, big Hollywood movies. Particularly as a military guys. guy. And, yeah, military guy has been a thing because he's got that voice and that look, I think. Yeah. But, um, and recently in the sci-fi Westworld, he's, he's oh, the main yeah. character in that. He's a bad guy. And um, he plays that really well. And I think in this it was probably a bit, you know, a little bit stock standard bad guy. You know, oh, I'm doing this for the greater good and, you know, someone has to play this role and all that sort of stuff. But... Yeah, they upped the ante of his voice, um, definitely. Uh, so he meets Wilfred and he tells him all about the balance on the train again and that the other head um, table is, uh, yeah, is, is basically, you know, like this, this fact of being the top and that people need to be executed for the balance of the train. How many people did you take out? You took out more people than we expected. He tells him about, like, you You were a really interesting story plot, the fact that you did the flame. We weren't expecting yeah, that. Yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah. He also says that him and Gillen were, like, actually friends and used to have long conversations, long phone yeah. calls. Yeah, Curtis doesn't really believe in that until... No, I, I struggled to believe it too, Until to he points out... Well, he does a couple of things. One, he rings the egghead dude to, to confirm numbers. Yeah. And... It's like there's a phone revealed in the tail section. Yeah, yeah. So you're going, okay, that's fine. But then the thing that gets you is when he reveals that he handed back the little pellets and also he says, and Gillen was always right, you do need two arms to hold a woman. Yeah. Which is something that Gillen had said. Gillen had said, yeah. So which meant that there was listening, there was, there was some sort of communication. Yeah, going. yeah. Um, but none of this is really, you know... And he does. He tells him to execute Egghead, doesn't he? He tells the Egghead to execute them all. Yeah. What's the number? 74%? Okay. And yep. he executes them. Um, yeah. And he, say, he says to him, you need, he has a steak and they're kind of, he doesn't eat it, but he, he sort of, Wilfred enjoys his steak. But he takes him into the engine. Mm. And it's this big circular revolving metallic machine thing going round and round and round. And he sort of... I mean, this is where Curtis is kind of like trancing out a bit, isn't he? He's yeah. a bit confused well, by everything. As I said, you've never been alone before. You've never been you? alone. And he gives him that moment in time to just be alone with his thoughts, you know. Everything he's just gone through, you know, executing Mason, losing Egna, um, you know, fighting his way through it all, not being a leader but then being a leader, you know. It's a lot he's gone through, sorry, in this hour and a half. Yeah, and he, he collapses the ground, has a bit of a cry. Yeah, has a little bit of a cry. Um, and yeah, he says to him, you must, you, you know, you will take the train and you must keep her humming. Everything adds up humanity. Everything on this train is humanity. Yeah. And it, it makes a certain sense, really. When you look at it, if you were to assume, and, and this is that thing that Nam said, if you would assume that they are walls and that you're in the train, then yeah, I mean, it's Got to be sort of the way it... Or it doesn't have to be in the class system, but you do have to maintain some... You have, have to, to have, have some, some way of maintaining balance. an order and a balance. And, I mean, that goes back to you saying the environment. Like, yeah, we are on Earth. Uh, we're approaching seven... Or we are seven billion people. I mean, we're environmentally destroying Earth. 
maybe we need some sort of balance. I mean, I'm not saying kill humans, <laughs> no, but... We're not saying let's turn people into a cockroach. No, and, no, you know, but I'm just saying that, yeah, like maybe we are out of balance right now and we need to create some sort of balance. So that, that, again, that's what you can... You can see the flaw in this argument, of course, when mm. Wilfred is saying all this as an audience member, but it's, it is a comment on our society, isn't it? Like that idea of like maybe we are out of balance. It, like it where is a, we... I think it is an absolute truth. I mean, it's, well, it was the second law of thermodynamics that uh, entropy increases. So mm. you're going to end up, you have to add something in or, or make some balancing um, action on a system or it will fall apart. Yeah. And... I, I don't know that there's any mandate on what that action has to be. It doesn't have to be one-child policies or massacres or no. any other sort of... Or biological or, viruses. Well, or, yeah, okay. <laughs> or zombie apocalypses. But, no. but it, you need to have some sort of balance on all this. You do. Or you so, need to get out of the system. You do. So while this has all happened, Curtis is kind of... You know, he's, he's lost his drive. Mm. Um, and meanwhile, Nam and his daughter are um, uh, are kind of like, you know, regathering. And with that, back on their bridge, the party people have come for the Cronus, yeah. ready to kill him. And um, well, he first dude gets knocked over the rails. Yeah, he does, you know, so he... But, I mean, you got to remember he's been shot, Nam, so he's a tough cookie, isn't he? He's like fighting them one at a time. Uh, on the bridge, um, and then the hitman freaking bloody comes back around, doesn't he? And yeah. suddenly it's a real fight. So they're fighting, and he tells um, he tells them to go and get the matches from Curtis. Tells yeah. Yona to go get the matches from Curtis. So she runs in, and he says no. Not giving you the, not giving them to you, because now you say so you feel like maybe he's been swayed over to Wilfred's side that he's going to now be Wilfred, yeah. um, and she starts forking the floor and she opens this tile and underneath the engine there's little Timmy. Little Timmy. He's down there like pulling soot out of a machine, you know, little out of the tiny, engine. Well, his hand action. He's doing that yeah. thing. He reaches in, yeah. turns it out, pulls out, reaches off to the other side, pulls it out. Yeah, like, and he's pulling the soot out, and this is where Wilfred quickly closes it up and says. Well, you know what? The engine's going to last forever, but there's parts that have become extinct again. Extinct. They keep saying Yeah, they extinct. keep saying that, don't they? So there's animals, there's people, there's things on the train that have become extinct, and we've got to keep everything in balance. And, and this, I think this is one of these beautiful things that, like, there's a feeding the children yeah. to the machine yeah. to keep society running. Yeah. And if that's not some sort of heavy, deep-ass commentary on... Mm class systems or capitalism yeah. where it's like yeah the machinery that keeps humanity alive must be Requires, fed the sacrifice of the yeah, children, sacrifice of the poor, of children you know, like, yeah yeah it's pretty and, evil suddenly it's evil yeah, yeah it's and, a good, and suddenly good you go oh okay and uh i think curtis he snaps old, out of it yeah it's a good snapping punch in the face and yep. pulls the tile up and this is finally he gets to sacrifice his arm yeah he finally sticks his arm into the machine this is why he be, had yeah. his arm left yes sticks it in and um you know pulls little timmy out and gus gets the matches yep he, no he's trying to pull him out and oh. while he's doing that he, he gives you the mattress yes. uh, the matches yes. sorry not mattress and uh while he's doing that the other boy yeah, the crawls guy out that the crawls little... out because the train's not happy because everything's kind of coming to a halting stop 
crawls out and just very robotically goes up into like a position and goes back into the engine. Yeah, yeah some position so, where he starts doing something. Yeah, and the engine, engine kind of gets it. sucked back in to turn back on, I guess. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Nang is kind of having this battle. Yono goes, she lights the fuse. Um, I think Nan just wins the battle, doesn't he? And then, yeah, he does. Yeah. No, he wins the battle. The she's light lit the fuse. She runs out. Run Curtis in. has pulled the boy up, but in doing so, he's cracked his arm off. He's snapped his arm Finally. off. So he's lost an arm, which was his ultimate sacrifice. Now he can't hold a woman. So now he can't. He can't hold a woman, but he can hold these cho- the Yona and the little child to protect them as the bomb goes off. Yeah, because they couldn't close the door. And we have this amazing moment, don't we, where like the bomb goes off, but they decided not to just have the train kind of disintegrate, but then it's like an avalanche in the mountains, isn't mm. it? First, it's it's like the sound and the explosion creates that more than the train just... And the, the front breaks, gets knocked, breaks freezing. Re- yeah. It gets into a tunnel, so the yeah. avalanche sort of knocks out the tail section yeah. and then and then bits just go flammering no, in all sorts not, of aspects it's not and you hear the screaming of the yeah, people on the carriages yeah. because some carriages then get bowled over and so they're like being tossed down this mountain by the snow other carriages kind of get tripped up in the tunnel and yeah. i guess you know like crunched and munched and in this tunnel and then the train at the front bit kind of goes flambling off into the mountainside um mm. Uh, you know, off the tracks. And is this and not dead. some comment about revolutions, you know, over the corpses yeah. of, of the commoners or something? I don't know. Yeah. It's something that, it's all very revolutionary. Yeah. Animal. It's like it would have been everyone easy. died basically. It would have been easy to have most of the people survive, yeah. you know, and, no. and have multiple people coming out of the yeah. wreckage to look at the new worlds. Yeah. But, but instead, it's, instead it's like, no, the old society has been washed away. Yeah. They've all died screaming in their own, you know, um, yeah. decrepit state. They have. And so then we just have Yono kind of, um, she does scream for her father, but he's done, he's I think. Done. He's, he's, he's cooked. And so is Curtis. Um, and uh, she exits with um, the boy, Timmy. I think that is Timmy, isn't it? Yeah, that's Timmy. Yeah, Timmy. And um, they go out into the mountains and you can see the wreckage. You can see the... You know they're they're high up in these mountains, and it's so it's pretty. They could have chosen isolated. someplace closer to the equator. Yeah, I know they? somewhere where it's a bit lower to the you know. But and uh, then she sees a polar bear. Polar bear, and there's hope. There is hope in well, the polar bear. I'm gonna say that's a bit of a frightening thing to see, but yeah. if it's alive, it's a predator, right? Yeah. In order for a predator to be alive and look there healthy, like you, other there must be animals. a lot of prey. Yeah. Because one predator needs quite a lot of prey yeah. in order to survive. That's exactly an ecosystem right. balance yes. right there. Yeah. So there's a balance. Yes. <laughs> Back to that. And credits. That credits. is the end of Snowpiercer. Yes, indeed. And uh, it could well be the start of a Snowpiercer TV series. Well, it could be, couldn't it? It could because really flow on. From they've, uh, well, it, yeah, Netflix. <laughs> it's coming. So how did that make you feel overall, Sorry. What was your viewing experience of that like? Was this uh, the first time you'd seen it? Or no, this is the previous? second time. So the, yeah, I me saw too. It, I saw it years ago when it was sort of. Maybe I don't, first I don't think it actually out. got into the cinemas here in Australia. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I don't know. I yeah. watched it via an alternative acquisition mode. Oh my goodness! How dare you? Yeah. Poor Bung Jong Ho. Uh, he's <laughs> gone on to win lots of awards and things with his. Par- in fact, Parasite's on Netflix. I was going to watch that because. Um, 
it's won a bunch of awards. It's yeah, pretty good. Including the Oscar, eh? And Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer is great. Uh, I have a feeling it has the opportunity of being a bit of a cult classic. Because, I think so. Because it's it's really, it's kind of interesting and innovative in the way it's presented. It's got a very dark side to it, but also uh, the, the glimmering light of, you know, human spirit, mm. which, you know, breaks out at the end. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's very good. I watched it here at home on my brand new 27-inch monitor. So it's, it's crystal clear Schmick. and sharp and it's really good with some uh, my audio editing headphones on. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, the first time I watched it, I'm watching it uh, with my wife out on the lounge on the TV. And we were surprised because we didn't like... Reading the blurb, you know, a train traveling the world or yeah. never ending, it's, it sort of sounds shonky. Yes. Like it could easily have been a a, a rather poor showing, but yeah. I saw the actors involved and I thought, oh no, you know, we've got, a, <laughs> got some names that they must have spent a bit of money, a bit of effort. They're not going to mm. just jump into this. They're not Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do anything. Hey, Nicolas Cage, he has his place. Come on. And he's, he's got some good films, but he's also got some dreadful ones. Who shockers, but he's, he's and that's what he's renowned for. Yeah, he's prolific, and so that means he's got good films and not so good films. Yeah, we won't go into that. Uh, I, I a bit like you. I got to see this. I, I, I didn't see it at the movies, but I saw it on TV, or you know, I somehow via TV. Um, but it was legal. I know it was legal. I think I might have paid for it on TV or whatever. But um, I found at the time and it's interesting because if you kind of google this movie look at some of the reviews of this movie i think you do get that sense that um if you go into this movie expecting it to be reasonable in logic you're then not seeing the beauty of this film yeah. like there and and i agree like as well i remember going in the first time watching this movie thinking a train that goes around the world, like yeah. it's pretty. It's not very. I don't know why, but like you know, you 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 kind of we've watched a whole bunch of movies. You kind of go like the Beyond, like oh, Alien interactive. But I don't know, like it does. It seems more believable. But you read this and you think, at the end of the world, there's a train that goes around the world, like nonstop, twenty yeah. years after the end of the world, and the only people left are on that train. How does the train keep? Like, there's a lot of questions, yeah. <laughs> a lot of logical, rational questions, and I think. Again, like I didn't, I don't read a lot of the times into critics and reviews anyway. But I feel that people can judge this film story really quickly, and if you do that and you think it's supposed to be completely plausible, um, you're you're going to miss the beauty of this it, film because it's, it's just really like you've got to buy into that. And if you buy into that in that first five or ten minutes, you then see some pretty magical stuff yeah, in this. It's you know, one of those like, films where you. You're given a a premise and yep. so this is the starting position. Yeah. Accept it. Accept it. Yeah. Now we're gonna tell you a story. Yeah. And and the story's fabulous, but you've got to buy into that yeah, so, that premise. Because a lot of a lot of stories, uh, it's very popular to have essentially origin stories. Yeah. yeah. Where it's where it would be the build up and all the rest of it and then they get saved by being on the train. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. or, you know, I'm trying to think of some of these other ones, like where that's um you know, 
I, I can't remember. And nothing but, else. I mean, but but I it's think, the same thing where, yeah. where you, you often have like an, an origin story and this one is just sort of saying, look, just accept it. Mm. Now we're going to tell you what happens after yeah. that. Yeah, and we, we're like I think that's the thing. You could look at some of these characters like even Curtis and you could look at Mason and Wilford and you could go, these are not people. Like this is cartoonish versions of people. But in this world, it makes sense that mm. these people exist. You know, like you've yeah. had Curtis. If you think about Curtis... Basically, his story is he went on the train when he's 17. Yeah. And it's this vicious environment where he literally is stabbing and killing people to live and eating babies. Well, uh, he was asked what was the world like before. Yeah. And, and he he's says, like, I, 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 don't don't remember. Remember. I don't remember. I don't want to. I don't want to remember. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, and like you take someone like Mason who's like religiously devoted to Wilfred. And then even when you get to Wilfred, he makes a lot of logical, argumentative sense. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but you're agreeing to just like kill people, yeah, kill people. It like, makes sense if you accept his base premise. Yeah, yeah. If you accept his base premise that the train is necessary mm. and the way it is run is necessary, yeah, then yeah, because I mean, wouldn't it have been better almost just to cut off the tail people altogether? Yeah, and then treat everyone with because then you'd have so many more resources. Mm. Treat everyone. At a higher level. Yeah. But then again, maybe it's just the point, though, that the train is so limited anyway. Even the people in the first classes, they were still prisoners. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, they had nicer things. It was it was cleaner. They didn't have to... And Wilfred does say that, ...kill he? people. But, yeah. yeah, they're still, as you saw, they're in a sauna mm. or they're sitting at a restaurant bar or because they, their sleep carriages were just like little capsules. Yeah. Or they're in you, a nightclub having I think, drugs, I, you know. I think you need the tales people, like that's what he says, you need the tales people to have these moments of revolts mm. to justify the wealthier people and kind this, of having their existence, you know what I mean? And like this you, is that you, you 1984. Need, yeah, that's exactly right. So it's like because like the wealthy people in the sauna, you need you need a you need a villain. You need a villain. And the tales people are the villain. You know, yeah. And that's the idea of the kids in the school like Wilfred is our saviour and the Tales people are the evil people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And Wilfred does everything he can to keep us safe. If you had no evil people, eventually humans are going to go, what the fuck? Like, what do we do? Yeah, why, why do we treat these people badly? Yeah, yeah. So you need some bad people. You need villains, you know. Yes. It's, it's, like, it's almost commenting on film, you know, like um, on story, like saying you need the people to go boo, hiss, you know. Like, yeah, and, and, and that, <laughs> like, that is... One of the points it. made in 1984, yeah. going back to yeah. that, is right. that they're constantly at war yeah. so that they can justify... The know, security measures. Yeah, security yeah. measures and also to ensure that nobody looks too much upwards. Mm. Yeah, and... and that's, oh, God. Oh, it's so, so horrible, isn't it? It's a, it's a, I know, and then, when you start <laughs> look, then you start looking at stuff that's actually going on and stuff yeah, that people say, oh, camera's watching us, oh, it's so big brother, and you go... That's not Big Brother. No, that's not Big Brother. Being watched is not Big Brother. But maybe it is a step towards Big Brother. Big, big, big Brother, brother is, is is all of the other stuff that's going on that you don't know about. So I did really think this was cool. I enjoyed Watch the Second Time and I enjoyed the violence mixed with comedy mixed with a pretty strong message. And I think if you accept that premise at the start, which I think everyone should, give this film a crack. Oh, it's like that movie The Lobster. Yeah, that's right. Again, accept the premise you go, you don't and find you're on out. for a ride. 
how the lobster scenario if you hadn't seen the lobster it's our one of our second episode it's our second episode and it's one of our highest rated oh, films it's still up there for me and you, you've got to watch it because it just starts with a premise it just starts with a, a premise which is just you know you've if you're a single adult you have 30 days to find a partner or you get turned into an animal <laughs> Yeah. Like that's just the premise. It sound, look, and when you said it like that, it sounds it sounds stupid. Yeah, but I mean, when you watch the movie, you're like, "This is fucking incredible." It's it's just exactly like this. You accept that is the world that it that's is. The premise doesn't matter how it got to be like that. No, it just is. That's the world. Now look at the story that comes out of it. Yeah, and it's good. And it's the same with this one. Yeah, yeah. So you accept that. Good. You accept that premise. You're good. So the where that fits on the ladder for me, this kind of I think the last couple of episodes. I've maybe been around the bottom rungs, whereas this one goes right up there for me. I'm putting it into the third rung from the top. It's slotting in there very nicely. And, um, yeah, I just think that, as I said, just on that previous point, that if you accept that premise, it's going to – it takes you on a cool ride. Like, it's violent, it's funny, and it's still – you know, it really does, again, reveal humanity in a particular way. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's right up there. Uh, I've got it fourth, fourth up there. It's yeah, just below the lobster, just above passengers. Yeah, uh, it's just um, it's not as uh, smoothly written, I suppose. There's like Oblivion. Oblivion had that really. Yeah, Oblivion was cool. Uh, well, it's amazing flow. Yeah, through it did, it did, didn't it? Uh, the Snowpiercer's. It's it's such a worthy movie to watch it is uh you'll get you get a lot out of it. it's great you so what was a favorite scene of yours sorry uh favorite scene was mason's um shoe hat foot yeah. head oh, speech so good I combined so the, the the ridiculousness of mm. the speech and her um i, I suppose speaking in sort of axiomatic tautology, I guess you'd call it, you know, that, you know, a shoe doesn't go on the head, it goes on the foot. You are the foot, we are the head, we are (laughs) the top, you are the bottom, that's the way it has to be. And it just sort of, it's circular as if it's just the obvious truth, but none of it actually makes any sense because, of course, you can put a shoe on your head like we design shoes. Yeah. We could make a shoe that also works as a hat if we so chose, yeah. which is the case with classes and structures. We could design a class system or a structure, social structure, which is circular or is level. You know, it's just... Yeah. But combine that then with the way she... you know, the, Those hand actions and the way it really focused on them so that mm. it drew your attention and you went, oh. You couldn't avoid them. And those sort of hand actions came up again in the school when uh, the kids were doing their little weird sort of gestures and, and to infinity and beyond or whatever it is where they do the arms in the air. And, and then later on when uh, the Wilfred is talking on the, in the engine, he likewise does these hand actions when, when the kid's revealed because then the kid's doing it to get the gook out of the um, gummed-up engine parts. And so that, that opening bit... It just, it really highlighted also, you know, it shows this ridiculous privilege she's speaking from. Because mm-hmm. clearly, you know, she's all clean. She's wearing a nice white thing and she's manicured and made up. And, you know, then she's telling them how they all should be there. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And you go, well, like, and 
I think later on Curtis says to Wilfred, he says, uh, that's what people in power tell the people who yeah. aren't. Yeah. You know, that there's a, as, as there's a natural order to things. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course you're going to say that because you're at the top. Yeah. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> and that's always a whole greater good. Yeah. Whenever, whenever anyone says, I'm doing this for the greater good, it's always convenient that they're part of that greater part of the good. Mm. You must sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Because you're in the greater Is it, good. Well, well, you're saying that because you're the greater good, not yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. about we swap that around? No? Okay. It's <laughs> strange. That's right. So, yeah, that, that scene there, I think, was, was about my favorite. Although a close runner-up is the conversation that Nam and Curtis have at the end about yeah. what the horrors were in the tail section. Mm. And then just that, that line about you see walls, but I see a gate. I just I like that analogy there where people feel trapped in their social structure. Yep. But you know, what if you just turn left and kick your way through that way? Yeah, blow up that way. Don't yeah, why why try to get up to the top? The and, top's not really where you want to be. Yeah, and I mean even the analogy there works, doesn't it? Because you know, like, oh, we are told, we're all told if you go outside the train, you will freeze to death. Yes. So it. again, like the fear, you know, like it, you're exactly right, like Keep going forwards gets you to the top of society. Mm. But how about trying to go sideways? But society tells you if you go sideways, you will freeze to death. So yeah. you'll fail. You know, you'll fail yeah. if you go sideways. The only way to the top is this way. But then the top, even in the train, has a ceiling. Like even when he gets there, Wilford says, oh, do you think, you know, it's all rosy up here? You know, I'm on my own. And, you know, Curtis sort of says back to him, Oh, yeah, sure. You've got all this space. Like in the tail, yeah, we were all on top of each other and eating steaks. Like, doesn't sound that bad to me. But he's also right that the top isn't all, isn't all roses. You know, yeah, he's on his own and he, he doesn't have the ability to do stuff. So it's a good analogy that Nam says to him break free, go sideways. Mm. But that's a good way of saying with societies, and it? it's like, oh, this is the way to the top. Like you and me, this yeah. is the way to the top of podcasting. This is the way to the top of that. Well, why don't you try something totally bizarre off here on the left? I don't know that anyone's ever said podcasting is the way to the top. No, the top of podcasting. Oh, the top of podcasting. <laughs> we could be the number one podcast in the world, couldn't we? Space uh, brains. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So they, there's probably a traditional route to make your podcast the number one podcast in the world. But why don't we try something sideways? You know. Yes. Break through the gate a on the A podcast of only farting. Yeah, okay, Actually, let's probably try already been tried and yeah. it hasn't worked, so let's mm. move on from that one. That's right. I loved those scenes um, for those same reasons. I mean, as I said before, I loved Mason, Tilda Swinton. This is just, it's one of those roles. Like, it's one of those roles, isn't it? Um, but I did, I loved the tunnel. I think that whole sequence, mm. because when I watched this the first time, I remember going away and probably telling a couple of mates that this film's cool and this scene where the tunnel happened, you know, like telling people about the tunnel. Because I just thought that tunnel idea was really a cool idea. You know, that they thought, you know, you kind of expected them to go through segment after segment of the train and seeing rich people, etc. But they get to that point where it's just this bunch of soldiers, you know, like it was a real driving violent force and when you think about a story like this probably being relatable very much in propaganda and communist society nazism you know like the way nazis run yeah you're going to hit the room that's full of people with 
axes. Like if you want to try to get through this society, you're going to unfortunately have to break the room that has the guys yeah. with the ski The mask. sad thing, of course, is that room was really early on. Mm. And a lot of people discover this yeah. in trying to raise themselves up. Yeah. It's often or an not, issue, like you want to raise an issue. Yeah, it's often not hit. The, necessarily the people at the top who give the most uh, objection. No, no. Uh, it's, it's one of the people right above it's you. It's usually the people who are just around you and just yeah. above you who who themselves... Because really, all those soldiers, they had enough for... They could have just turned around and gone, well, why don't we go to the top classes? Yeah. There's enough of them to do it. They could have just had a military crew and just... Yeah. They were the enforcement. No one could have stopped them. No. But if they suspected... They, they couldn't allow that thought to be real... No. So they had to stop anyone else from rebelling because they weren't rebelling. Yeah. It's like, no, your rebellion can't work. We're going to have to crush you. Yeah, because it wouldn't work for us. That's if 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 that works for you, then we we've could do been it. spending the last eighteen years not doing it, and we should have, because let's face it, the the guards' quarters were only a step up. Yep. From the the bottom there, yeah, they had, I think they had some proper food and they had their own sort of bunks and things. That's why you get that, but, and it happened in this with the guards when they were doing. They were just like, just get in line, like they're just kind of doing their job. Like they weren't getting benefit that much benefit out of it, you no. know. No, unlike the people eating sushi and stuff. Yeah, or dentistry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her, her teeth. Her teeth. Sorry. Yes. She even takes them out. I'm not even sure why she did that. No, she, I don't know either. But just it was, to, to generate sympathy, I suppose. Yeah, it'd be a really good question. It'd be great to get Tilda Swinton, you know, on the phone. Tilda, yeah. And so or, if you're out there, let us know, Mara? like, was that something in the script or was that something that she kind of, you know, did to, in to the moment? To try and make her character that like, a bit more pathetic. Yeah, yeah, because she was kind of surrendering, wasn't she, in that yeah. moment? So what about the science oh, in the science in the space trails. brain? Oh, my God, no. Finally, no. I've been waiting to talk about chemtrails. No, no, um, geoengineering. The train what, that never stops? No, geoengineering. This is what they did for global warming. So they, they sprayed crap up in the atmosphere to cool the planet oh. and it overcooled. This is this is not um, a Science. theory <laughs> that was thought of just for this film. This no. is genuine um, ideas put forward. You know, what can we do to quickly change things? And the reason for that, of course, is the uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere holds onto heat so uh, and it heats up the land and the water as well. Mm-hmm. So even if we were to suck out all of the excess carbon dioxide and push back to say pre-industrial levels, like say 1600s or 1500s. Yeah. It would still take like a hundred years or something for the heat to dissipate out of the ground. Right. Because we've got the waters have heated up, the, the ground is heated up and we're still being hit by sun. Yeah. So it's not going to be a quick thing. But what if you went and did what they did in this place and sprayed, like did something to actually stop you are infrared light hitting the earth in the first place and a few other things. And you could very quickly then, because you take out the uh, solar radiation that's hitting our planet constantly, then all the heat can just go out of the place. In fact, there was, there was one um, idea put forward, which is, uh, it's, it's an actual technology being developed, which are reverse solar panels. Oh yeah. And I sort of, I think I've spoke a bit about this before. So this was, these nano, these carbon nanotubes 
uh, or graphene, which is in a, a particular arrangement that uh, photons, infrared photons, can travel in only one direction. Yeah. And uh, so uh, heat hits on one side and then the photons come out at a different wavelength out the other side. Okay. So you put them in at night time, you have a black surface facing the night sky, which provides basically a uh, an, a, a low photon pressure. Right. And you've got warm, relatively warm ground underneath it, which has positive photons. Okay. For, you know, so there's more heat leaving the earth than is above. Yep. And they go through this, this medium, which is basically a, a reverse solar panel and generates electricity at nighttime. Okay. Uh, the idea, of course, then if you had enough of these, this actually causes a cooling effect because you're, you're sucking the heat out of the earth and turning it into electricity and piping it somewhere else to do mechanical work or something. Okay. Uh, so that's sort of one thing, but obviously you'd need to cover the whole earth in that. But what if you did a few of these following things? One of them would be spraying nanoparticles high up in the, in the stratosphere, which would reflect light. So that's uh, reflective aerosols. So you do that up oh, about 20 kilometers up in the air, which you might spread by aeroplanes, mm-hmm. high altitude aeroplanes spraying it out, uh, which is what they sort of showed at the start of the film there. Uh, then you've also got the idea of um, mirrors. So there's been various ideas of having a big mirror in space to reflect more sunlight down onto cold areas of Russia to allow for longer summer growing periods. Yeah. Because there's big sections, like Russia's got a lot of land, most of it those frozen tundra. And so they think, well, hey, chuck a mirror up and like um, the full moon and reflect more light down and we get longer summer period. I think the Simpsons have done a joke about that, haven't they? They did the reverse where they put a big shade. That's right, the shade. So everyone has to use more power. (laughs) Of course, that sounds like a dreadful idea because, uh, you know, you you. I'm pretty sure you'd be killing a whole lot of animals, animals in life and, and there'd be gardens. God knows what they would go on there. But, so they <laughs> haven't really done it. But so your giant mirror in orbit, because the idea is that if you were to put a, hold a mirror above your head, yeah, you'd only create a tiny little shady patch. But the closer you put that mirror to the sun, the mm-hmm. bigger the shade, the shade becomes, that would yeah. be, be cast. Uh, so the idea is you put about 400 kilometers up in an orbit, have some mirrors which would reflect some of the sunlight away. Again, it's a bit disastrous because we rely on sunlight mm. for plants and everything. But still, it would it would do something. Uh, somewhat e- easier, somewhat better idea would be to get rid of um, low-lying clouds because low-lying clouds trap heat and create more high-level clouds because they right. reflect sunlight. Yep. In fact, there's a, uh, I say they look after the December, uh, September 11 um, attacks on the trade centers. Okay. They grounded all flights. Yep. So there were no airplanes flying over LA. And LA is like the LAX is one of the busiest hubs in the universe for human based transport. <laughs> you <can take laughs> not that just the, the universe. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. Yeah. Uh, there's not another planet in, in the solar system that has as much traffic. For humans. Yes, for humans. <laughs> so, you know, all those contrails, not chemtrails, which are, you know, turbulence, because Los Angeles um, has fairly humid weather. Yep. You get a lot of airplanes shooting through there. You get turbulence. It, it forms water particles, artificial clouds. 
So when right. they grounded all the airplanes, they had sufficiently less clouds that there was a warming effect. All right. Because less, it was brighter on the ground, and there's a warming. It's actually measurable in the average temperatures uh, during that three-day period. Yeah, right. Which is quite fascinating. And so then they, you know, this is a bit of my opinion. It was like, well, hold on, what total effect is our air traffic having in terms of changing weather patterns? And so mm. there's study going into that because you always need supercomputers to crunch around that forever. But the idea is if you could artificially seed high-layer clouds, they'd reflect light and get rid of the low-laying clouds which hold, hold heat in, then you could very quickly you know, change what they call the albedo, which is the amount of reflection and refraction from space. Yeah, right. And so I wonder if the coronavirus is probably not a bad idea right now for scientists because flights might drop away you know seeing our tourism is dropping away and these international bands and stuff yeah so it'll be I interesting mean, to see as we're not probably quite there yet but maybe in a month or something well, another right interesting now. thing will be all other um epidemic viruses so flu yeah the flu season is coming up yeah for australia for australia yeah but leading into that everyone's got this heightened awareness of hygiene and self-restriction and travel and yeah. groups I'm wondering, because last year we had quite a rough flu season. We, we did, lost, yeah. We lost hundreds of people died. We did. Uh, which which is quite unfortunate. I think one month we lost, there were 65 people died in one month. Yeah, which is very which, high. Which is very high when you consider um, all other diseases that yeah. you know, we've, we're sort of getting rid of. We can't get rid of the flu. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, again, the same sort of thing. We're going to have this knock-on effect where for maybe a month here in Australia, we're going to be very sensitive to contagion issues you know people are well, we're going to force people are doing isolation. what they're supposed to be doing which yeah. is say they feel a bit of a tickle in their throat and maybe they're coughing a bit or sneezing a bit they don't go to work which is what right. you're supposed to do so yeah. everyone out there don't stop doing that just because the pandemic is declared over and i, I mean i'm going to, as you know as well as a father of a couple of little kids and I, it's going to be the same for me is that if they, we're not there yet in Australia, but it probably will happen. But if they close the schools mm. for an extended period, like a month, during like more the winter period, and then those and and there's an isolation uh, being enforced where we're more forced to stay at home as a society and isolate ourselves from other humans, whether there will be a major knock-on effect of like the flu and common cold. Yeah, so so this like is less, a, less, yeah. But I mean, this this is going to uh, geoengineering. Yeah, sorry. Sort of, <laughs> sort of topics. Yeah, we're we're going off. On, we're going this. off to biology. It's, it's it's really interesting, yeah. and maybe we should do uh, one of these um, outbreak movies. Or we should, I reckon. Movie. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, so there's the genuinely these theories of these ideas have been put forward. Uh, the science has been worked through to try and figure them out to see what sort of effect that have. Even down to things like painting rooftops, yeah, uh, a light color, yep. And and there's also this question: uh, if you get, um, in fact, one of the ways that solar panel uptake is measured here in Australia is to take aerial ph photographs, yeah, and uh, look at the reflectivity of the you know rooftops. Yeah, right. So you you take a photograph of a suburb at one point in time, and then later on you take another photograph of the same suburb. And then you, because you can't really, it's difficult to sort of match up houses and count yeah. individual solar panels. But what you can do is do a bit of color manipulation, some filters on that to find the highlights and reflective points. 
and count those. Yeah, because right. Solar panels are glass; they're reflective. Uh, and so when you start sticking a whole lot of solar panels on houses, you'll see that you change reflect- the re- reflectiveness of yeah. all the roofs. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's other ideas of crops, growing crops that are more reflective. Mm. Yeah, you know, lighter colored crops, which mm. which is sounds funny, but when you realize how many uh, millions of hectares of cropland is covered uh, year in year out yeah. by crops, if you just change their reflectiveness reflectivity that increase their albedo just by a small amount then you'd be reflecting a whole lot more light which normally would be absorbed by the sure ground would. yeah 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 that's interesting um yeah i mean volcanoes do this all the time we, we had uh a cooling okay so we know that after the mount uh, pinatubo eruption in 1991 there was a global cooling of about half a degree or two uh, for three years afterwards so, yeah, I mean, this is where these ideas come from. It's like, that's a volcano. And, you know, when Iceland had the, yeah, I, uh, no, I can't even say the word. Any Icelandics out there want to tell us how to pronounce that volcano? Again, likewise, they had a cooling, a colder winter through Europe. Because yeah. there's lots of stuff in the air. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. Uh, it has pretty much been determined by all scientists and engineers that even if these things were economically feasible, the risk of there being unknown consequences, unknown side effects, too high. Yeah. Because let's face it, you go and CW7 in this movie. Yeah. Exactly. The fear is that you go and stick a whole bunch of crap up in the atmosphere. What if it's super effective? And then we get a, a chilling effect. Which is just as bad as a runaway heating effect. Yeah. Or what if it does, has no effect, but it rains poison on us? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's right. like it's, there's no there's no sort of good scenario that trying to there's no way of figuring out the the perfect amount no. to put into the atmosphere to get just the right amount of you know reflection. Well, yeah. Even when you were doing your explanation, it really reminded me of them coming to Australia and unleashing the cane toad. Yeah, you know, and the rabbit, example. you know, like these sort of things that they thought were good ideas and then they were just terrible ideas, you know, like and, and science backed it at the time, mm. I believe, in those sort of answers, the science at the time backed it and then it's just created this monster of a natural disaster, you know. So as soon as you start saying, we're going to put something up in the sky, you know, like you do think, oh, yeah, like, yeah, what if that, what damage will that yeah, do Yeah, something that us, we yeah. can't easily clean up again. Same, yeah. we're going to drop a bunch of cane toads off. Yeah. We can't pick them up again. No. But it was that Simpsons episode, isn't it, where they yeah. uh, what what's running around? There's snakes getting yeah. about or a couple of lizards getting about. Oh, we'll use the Chinese needle snakes to kill yeah, them and then we'll get the gorillas will yeah. smash the snakes. <laughs> and then we just wait till winter and that'll kill the gorillas That's off. That's right, and yeah. That's yeah, wishful thinking. And even when they do come to Australia at the end, like um what is it, Bart Bart unleashes something and it multiplies yeah, a, and then he's kinda of like you know, at the end when he's escaping Australia in the helicopter, he's like, ha and then there's the koala bear, you know, yeah. like, it's like, what will the koala well, bear do? The funny thing is in California, they have outbreaks of eucalyptus. Yeah. Because they went, okay, well, eucalyptus is very drought time, you know, California, parts of California are very yeah. similar to Australia in climate. Yep. We'll take these eucalypts because they, they form these great windbreaks for farmers. Yeah. And they'll, you know, they don't need watering and they're very tough. Unfortunately, however, 
there's some slight differences to California and they've grown out of control because mm. they don't have the natural controls we have in Australia. Yeah. Like our soils are a bit poorer, so the trees don't grow as well, for example. We've yeah. got um, you know, sort of bugs and mites and we have a, a different level of heating and drying yeah. and burning that happens. And so, yeah, they have, have these out that of control. logical, yeah. You know, pest species, which is the, the gum tree. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I think we've covered the movie pretty well. Normally, I'd go into a bit of detail, but I'm also aware of the time in here. So, I mean, we have talked a fair bit about the cinematography playing a role. It was nice and tight and technical in this film. Again, Bung Jong Ho, um, he, I saw the thing like he's big on story storyboards. And in fact, for this, he was doing storyboards and John Hurt said to him, I love your storyboards. It's very very much like Hitchcock, like it's reminding me of Hitchcock's level of detail. Interesting um, enough, it did, it did come from a graphic novel. Yeah. Which yeah. is essentially storyboards. Yeah, yeah. So, and in that little clip, it's available on IMDb, um, that little bit about Snowpiercer. Uh, yeah, you saw a few of the storyboards. They are extremely detailed. Um, so I think that's that's a really great part. And you can see this. I think for me, probably in terms of the technical, Technicalities, symbols are a big one. So we've talked a lot about these themes. The train, train's a perfect example of like each carriage can be a compartmentalised and that, that can represent a part of society. And I think we see that, you know, the tail section, filthy, grimy, compacted, too many people, um, but it's it's kind of almost like a little snippet of society, isn't it? Mm. You know, there's there's these children being born there is the natural element. There's people coming together. There's friendships. Once you move throughout the rest of the train, there's not really those those things, is there? You know, the, the people partying up the front, they're all like beyond just partying, aren't they? They're all like sharing the bottles, doing the drugs, mm. half naked, not really with anyone. It's not like they're couples or anything like that, you know? Like it's the opposite extreme of relationships and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. So I think the signs and the symbols are, are very clear in this film. And then you can even take like the snow. The snow is frozen, we're stuck. Whereas then as he's saying, oh, if we break free, the snow is crumbling like mm. the, the society is crumbling. But like also the snow is, is the white and it's fresh. It's covering it's, everything. Yeah, it's clean. You can't see any ugliness out there. It's, yeah. all, it's all covered. Even yeah. the frozen dead people are seven. Yeah. They're, you can't see people. They're just sort of these white shapes yeah and and that was another thing you know even the plane you know when he spoke about the plane seeing the plane it's it's hard to see yeah it wasn't like they he decided to show us a very clean cut of that we saw this you know like really long shot looking down at um where the plane was on the ridge and you have to look closely to even see the plane yeah you know so again it's 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 not giving away everything to us um, so I thought that was really, really cool. So I'll just brief, I'll, we'll move from, from that really quickly tonight. So let us know what you thought about Snowpiercer. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, we've got an Oscar award winning Korean filmmaker here in the making back in these days in 2013. And then a few years later, he's come out with Parasite and it's yeah. a film that we all should be checking out, I think, I, in the I film will. world. I will be having a look at that. I've been mean to, it's, 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 I've got a long list of Yeah, we all have films. a long list. <laughs> to watch, yeah. 
But yeah, definitely check out Snowpiercer. Also, Chris Evans plays a different type of, uh, you know, a hero in a way. This is a bit more of an anti-hero. He doesn't want to be the leader, and then he is the leader. And he kind of, you know, sacrifices himself. So it's a different type of role for, you know, the big American um, hero. Tilda Swinton, oh, this is just a role that's, you know, it's one of those roles that you can't say no to, I think, as an actor. And it's something that you have to check out. So it's a well worth film this one. And if you get, as we said before, just push past that initial premise, accept it, and it will be a wonderful train ride. It will be. And there is a, the there world. is a Netflix series coming out for it. Oh, okay. So and it's uh it does have the uh you know and Tim. Okay. But there are other people. It's it's sort of there's been hinted on where these other people come from that there's actually uh, another train okay or uh, like a, a disconnected set of carriages or yeah. something along those lines all right okay interesting so, uh, and um we'll see how that goes mm, definitely and so what is our next film sorry our next film is the thing the thing so the remake this version is 2016 i think it is okay yeah so it's a more modern version are yep. you agreeing with me, or are you saying yes? I'm saying true? yes, just as in yes. I can't okay, look well, it up, but yeah, it we'll is, go for it. Is it. The, it is it's the new version. So there's the original. It Joel Edgerton in it. Joel Edgerton, <laughs> yeah, the yes. Aussie actor, and so there was I think the, it is a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, there was the original John Carpenter, which yeah. you should also have seen if you haven't. It's well worth it. Mm. And there's even an earlier Hammer House of Horror, similar one, which I can't remember what it's called, but it's a similar one where they find an alien in the in the. Yeah. But anyway, so we're watching the thing. The newer yes. one, we'll see what that's all about. I haven't seen this version. I've seen no, either have I. the original several times. So we'll go so in I'm cold kidding. and hopeful that it's going to take us on a cool little ride. Yes. So check it out before our next episode. And that is it for for tonight's episode, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Let us know what you think about it on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At, at Space Brains Pod and Space Brains Called Podcast. Pretty much. Hit us up. You'll Let us know. You'll have one. Bye bye.